0: day may 40 here quite a mugshot by donald trump after his latest indictment this one in georgia and it reminds me of some things that i learned in acting class so when i was taking an acting class on audition technique the teacher emphasized the power of just allowing your chin to drop a little bit and then your eyes pop open so donald trump here he's prepared for this mugshot notice how the, the chin is down and then the eyes pop open so the eyes, the windows to the soul. people read you know, all sorts of meaning into your eyes, into your expressions, because we cannot think a thought without a particular alignment of our body, right? When we think about politics or we think about the monetary supply or we think about love, right? Our muscles all over the body start arranging themselves in a particular way so that once you get to know people well or once you're particularly attuned to this, you can read what's going on in someone's head just by the way their muscles start aligning, including with the face. So Donald Trump is sending the message that he's going to fight this indictment, all right, and when he's thinking, you know, I'm going to fight, I'm going to fight, I'm going to fight, I'm going to fight to vindicate myself, all right, that's going to come through in his countenance through the particular alignment of his musculature, all right without this particular alignment of his musculature including muscles in his face right he could not be thinking about fighting right you can't have a thought and you can't have an emotion without a particular alignment of your body right certain emotions certain thoughts force different alignments of your body and you can't think right you can't have a concrete thought without some increased level of tension all right your body is going to gear up You're going to do some work when you're thinking as opposed to just being in a place of observation. So right now I'm just going to move into a place of just pure observation. I'm not uh, imposing any judgments on the world and my face will free up. There will be less tension in my face that when I come back to trying to make my point where I'm thinking a series of thoughts and then my musculature, including on my face and in my back and in my shoulders down to my ankles, will have to realign in a certain way to enable... The development of thoughts or the, the expression of emotions you can't feel depression or excitement or joy or laughter without a particular alignment of your body it'll be very hard for me for example to feel depressed when i've got this kind of upward direction flowing through my body to feel depressed you have to de- depress your body you have to pull in you have to tighten you have to compress your muscular alignment to really get into that feeling of depression rage resentment all right when i'm up here like this right it's virtually impossible for me to feel rage and resentment but Trump is pulled down into rage resentment I'm going to fight this so the the thoughts right require a certain alignment of the body the emotions require a certain alignment of the body and then when you get into similar or the same alignments of the body even without explicitly thinking the thoughts or having the emotions those thoughts and feelings will naturally start to align with how you carry yourself so Everything that's going on with your thinking, all right, is going to affect your emotions and your body alignment. Everything going on with your bodily alignment, all right, how tight, tense, compressed your your muscles are, all right, that's going to affect your thinking and your emotions, and your emotions will affect your thinking and your bodily alignment. So we are a unity. We are one, guys. We are all one. (laughs) And everything that's going on with one part of us is going to ripple through all parts of us from our muscular alignment to our thinking, to our feeling. Will Trump remain stoic <laughs> when his cellmate has his way with him? I think, uh, I think Trump will be a fighter. I don't think he'll be passive <laughs> when his cellmate <laughs> goes, goes after him. And so when you go for the king, right, when you come for the king, this is a line from the TV show The Wire, right? You, you better not miss. And that kind of reminds me what happened with Prigozhin right, who met his demise this week as uh, Vladimir Putin reasserts control. This is Robert Wright talking with a Russia expert, Nikita Petrov, who's basically a liberal. Remember, I was paying a lot of attention to it early on,
1: you know, like months before the big, uh, the mutiny, you know, he was starting to do these videos where he was getting a little uppity, right? Mm -hmm. And like, it seems like you're creating more trouble than the president of your country wants you to create, right? And then it got, as the, as the mutiny approached, it got more and more extreme. And then he started saying things like, wait, was that a reference to Putin? When he says, I forget that there's a right. term, grandpa or something. And he, right, and he right. clarifies and says, no, no, that was either Shoigu or Gerasimov. Shoigu, the Ministry of Defense, Gerasimov, the head of the military campaign. Um, uh, But it was getting so weird. And I started saying like, is he mentally unstable? And then I just thought, well, he's obviously extremely not risk averse. I mean, he was, remember, he was a street criminal. He did like many years in prison. I mean, you know, Correct criminals are famously not risk averse you know Correct. and
2: and he ad- and he actually goes to these war zones in which his people are fighting where right. he used to go yeah. right
1: so what's your what's your theory of pergojan like kind of what exactly it, it's also a fact i mean there was friction to say the least between him and the military command which we can get into but, but what's your uh, which might give him more in the way of a plausible motivation for this than we really understand you know but what is your what is your theory of pergojan and how he kind of unwound and the mutiny happened
2: yeah so again i have to you know, preface but, this with saying I'm not sure of anything, Um, but, and like at the time when, before the mutiny, when he started to make these political statements and started within Russia, he traveled, he did a little tour and talked to people and posted these videos uh, where he sounded like, you know, the oppositional politician. He was, uh, and the charismatic one, truth teller, Mm -hmm, and he's mm -hmm. just from the war. There was a lot of appeal there. Uh, And at that time, I don't, I, I think most like the, this like Taking it for taking it at face value versus a conspiratorial version of some some kind, the conspiracy version was higher than it is now. Obviously, uh, like people thought, this is uh, Putin's friend giving him a favor. Like he's going to be the next puppet uh, opposition. Like the people who are tired of this war, people who are upset with government for not being effective in this war, uh, he like he hit a lot of these critiques for different kinds of groups. Like if you were anti-war to begin with, he had a line for that. This war mm-hmm. shouldn't have started. Right. Uh, but then since we already started and we're in this mess, uh, we have to do it properly. So this is for the kind of Russians with attitude type people that right. more effort should be put into the war. So he had uh, different kinds of appeal for different groups of people. And the thinking then uh, among many was, again, it was like nobody was really, really sure. But uh, it was a common thought that this is uh, he's going to be like the sparring partner uh, for Putin. So people who are upset will be able to have this guy as their icon. But he's totally controlled by Putin. So it's a safe valve. Yeah. Um, and now it doesn't look so much. And it stopped looking so much about the time he ended the I think.
1: Well, even before uh, then, it, it didn't make sense to me that Putin was happy with this because when he said,
0: uh, "Look, okay," looking at the chat, Ricardo says, "Black Panther, Fanny Willis, putting my president in jail is the ultimate humiliation." I welcome our Chinese overlords. Literally, anything is better than this, bro. You don't realize how good you've got it. All right, you've got a life, you've got a family, community, friends. I assume you've got you know, all sorts of things going on in your life. You've got you know, more freedom than most people in the world. And to think that anything is better than this, that's delusional. Like whether or not Trump is put in prison is going to have almost no effect on the quality of your life. Whether, whether Donald Trump or Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is president of the United States, it's not going to affect your life. Very much. Now, it's fun to talk about. It's interesting to talk about. All right. It's, it's you know, what, what we do instead of playing video games because we're interested in politics. But the idea that anything is better than what you have right now is absurd. You've got it so good. You've got it so good. It's only humiliating if you live a great deal in an abstract world where you're thinking about these issues as I do and as you do. But that's because we have the luxury of living in this abstract world. We don't have to you know, fight for our concrete survival. Okay, let's have a look at more of the chat. Trump will go all Andrew Sullivan in prison. Imagine if Donald Trump is president from prison. Trump should have read the academic literature. Then he'd have known that electoral fraud doesn't exist. No. What the academic literature says is that we don't have any evidence that electoral fraud decided the 2020 election. Would I vote for an imprisoned man? I would vote for an imprisoned man if it was in my interests. All right, it was in the interests of my hero system. Elliot Blatt says I think there's a 10% chance that Prigogine is still alive. He has disguises and gold bars. He's probably in South America. Welcome to our Chinese Asian overlords. How does Trump's rape personality, how does President Trump's prison rape personally affect you? That's not going to last when our country looks like South Africa. Our country is not going to look like South Africa for at least 100, 200 years, if, if ever. Ricardo Williams, seeing down the road. Stay in the pot, guys. It's not boiling yet. It's, you've got it so good that it has spoiled you. Thoughts on the Republican debate? Why no live review? I didn't watch the debate. Uh, watched a little bit of commentary on it. It seems like Vivek Ramaswamy is the fast-rising Republican presidential candidate. Something like over a million people Googled his name within 24 hours after the debate, so his trajectory seems very much like it's going up. The presidential election doesn't matter much. Why are you covering it? Because I enjoy it. It matters somewhat, right? But I do these shows because I enjoy it and because I think it matters somewhat. Great question, like always, Bernard. So... For example, if Joe Biden had not been the president of the United States, I'm not sure that we would have backed Ukraine to the extent that we backed Ukraine. I'm not sure that Putin would have even felt the necessity of invading. That could literally lead to the end of life on Earth, World War III, you know, some massive nuclear exchange. So to, to that extent, in that area, it's significant. So, I think for ninety five to ninety nine percent of the people ninety five to ninety nine percent of the time in america it doesn 't matter for the for their daily life who 's President of the United States, but for people who live in a largely abstract world as i do i don 't have family right i don 't have those kind of obligations. I have a lot of time to spend thinking about politics, and if you 're you know in the chat, you probably have a lot of time to spend thinking about politics as too. It is something that we enjoy, and it has a Moderate, moderate to, to modest effect on uh, the quality of life in America. Who's, who's president? We love Vivek. Not going well for Ukraine by the looks of it. Who are my top three candidates for president? Well, I think I said last week, and I still stand by this. From everything I know, uh, Ron DeSantis is the most effective governor of Florida. Is the most effective governor in the United States. And from everything I know, Ron DeSantis would be the most effective chief executive from a conservative
3: or right-wing point of view compared to all the other candidates. I think that is indisputable. Now, who's more electable, Trump or Ron DeSantis? I have, I have no idea. I don't.
0: I don't feel a particular tug either way. I'm not, you know, more. Ron Sanders or more Donald Trump, it does seem to me that Ron DeSantis is a much more effective CEO. He's a much more effective executive. He's a much more effective leader than than Donald Trump. And uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, without knowing much about him, he just seems to leave me with a good feeling <laughs> compared to the others that I've not looked into him
3: deeply. Does it bother me to see presidential candidates with Israel lapel pins? Yes. All right. America is not benefited by
0: presidential candidates wearing Israel lapel pins, right? If you're running for political office in America, the well-being of Americans should be your primary duty and your primary preoccupation, not the well-being of Israel or any other foreign country. So you should not have to declare on your level of support for Israel or for any other foreign country, including Ukraine, when you're running for political office. right, so I am opposed to giving military aid to Ukraine, and I am for a more distant relationship between the United States and Israel. I think the United States has been overly involved with Israel since about 1967. Nikki Haley is outraged that Vivek won't be a doormat for Israel. What do I think of Trucker's Trump interview trouncing Fox? It's hard to know what the online metrics really mean, So I don't know. don't have a developed thought. That Israel pin is the political equivalent of a prostitute (laughs) showing some leg to get some
4: clients.
0: (laughs) So I guess my top three candidates for president are Donald Trump, uh, Ron DeSantis, and uh, Vivek Ramaswamy. The presidential election doesn't matter much. Why are you covering it? We could be decoding Andy Worski, but you're wasting time on Trump. It's not wasting time. It's interesting to me it, it has uh some significance it's it's a way all right guys like to measure themselves against other guys we do it by how much money we make by how much status and prestige we have by how attractive our woman is by how good we are at chess or basketball or you know video games or whatever contest and so this is kind of a an overwhelmingly male space where we compete who has the sharpest apprehension of all sorts of moving variables that are beyond any of our individual capacities to ascertain, but we have a go at it anyway because it's fun and also because it has, has an effect on the, the future of our country and the future of our people. But in large part, this is an intellectual exercise. It's the equivalent of, of playing chess. And so I have a go, you have a go, and we have a go at each other. It's, it's a beautiful thing, right? I mean, COVID was fun because we all got to have a go at how, how accurate is our sense of reality? And how valid are our sources? And with incomplete knowledge, you know, how well can we ascertain what's really going on around us? And that's the same challenge with politics or with almost anything else that we talk about. Uh, Ricardo says, I'm officially no longer a Republican after watching that debate. Well, for all Republican shortcomings, they are the least likely group in America to vote for reparations for for American blacks. They are the most pro-law enforcement group compared to the Democrats. So I really don't think that you can, in good conscience, step away from the Republican Party. For all their shortcomings, they are still more on the side of law and order than the Democrats by a significant margin. Hey, Michelle from Belgium. Long time no talk. So, uh, Michelle, I've known you about 10 years from, from, no, 15, uh, 15, 17 years. So when I was first going live on cam streams back in 2007, 2008, I met Michelle in the chat room. Oh, man. I want RFK Jr. to reform the Knights of the Roundtable. I think uh, RFK Jr. is unimpressive with his perspectives. You're lucky you don't live in the UK, given the state of our right-wing conservative movement. I think, from the little I know, it seems like Rishi Sunak is doing a credible job. The UK is the cultural heart of the pause. Well, it's definitely to the left of the United States. And it's also interesting that UK politicians are on average at least 10 to 20 IQ points higher than American politicians, but it doesn't doesn't seem to necessarily result in better governance. So the UK is in for very tough times in the years ahead. I mean, right now, it looks like Brexit was a major mistake. And and I thought Brexit was a great idea at the time. Yeah, cam streams, like the first time I just live stream, just kick it. We'd have like 5, 10, 15 people. I had a famous uh, French composer in in my cam streams and he even he even made a, a composition for me. Uh that I was that I was some kind of shock. Luke got blown the, the F out on COVID. I think that uh I think I did did okay that the that the establishment did better than expected. That the elites did better than expected, that our health officials did better than expected, that our pharmaceutical companies did better than expected getting a drug vaccine for COVID in less than a year, I think it was an amazing
3: job. What he's getting back to the eyeballs, he's got more vax juice than blood at this point. <laughs> okay, let me, uh, let me pull it together. There was this beautiful,
0: beautiful Irish girl who used to be in the cam streams, Amma from 2008. And Then she she went off with a musician named Luke, but uh, we had a hurricquake in Los Angeles last Sunday afternoon. Is Mickey Cow? Hev-
5: right. It was heavily hyped, uh, you know. And uh, by the time it got here, it was just a bunch of rain. Okay, it was like two inches of rain. There were no winds to speak of. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was it was it, 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 it didn't even feel like two inches of rain because you didn't see the trees almost blowing over. Very little damage. Nobody killed. Uh, and I I've taken on the unpopular position of that it was hyped because mm-hmm. well after it was clear that. It was also it was just a bunch of rain. You were getting these buzzing alerts on your cell phone saying, "Do not drive anywhere unless it is to flee a flash flood." Okay, mm-hmm. which seems like ridiculous overkill. I'm not in a flash flood area. Most of Los Angeles is in a flash flood area. People in the hills are. People who live near yeah. storm drains are. Uh, sort of, so why not just warn them? Why tell everybody right. they have to right. lock no, down the, in place? The whole and indiscriminate it, it, alert thing on smartphones is. I'm against. Right. And it, it triggered a uh, it triggered an obvious reaction among right wingers. I happened to be in a group of right wingers when it's was happening. They're all saying, "This is just like COVID. They're locking us down again. We've been out on the streets. Everybody's driving. We don't believe anything they say." So they're uh-huh. there. They Fauci eyes themselves. They have they've have made people distrust them, which is the last thing they want to do. And of course, it was hype because, A, things develop a bureaucratic hype. Oh, we have all these reporters reporting their storm stories and they got to come up with some damage. So they make up, you know, they, they make the most of whatever damage they have. Uh, mm-hmm. And also we had a climate change, uh, you know, overlay, which is see, this is what you get with when you let climate change run rampant. You get storms like this. Uh, so everybody sort of wanted to push it for that reason. And it reminded me of Mike Davis's uh, ecological uh disaster book which is this book after city of course where he talked about tornadoes hitting los angeles oh my god a tornado it's, it's covered up by the press and the only problem with the thesis was that nobody has ever been killed by a tornado in los angeles because they're so right. weak okay right. and so he, the, the book is oh there was shattered glass glass all over the sidewalk because of this tornado uh and you know there's just a bunch of shattered glass it was all it was hype so want to hear,
1: yep. hear the most indefensibly indiscriminate alert ever i was sure. on my smartphone this plagued me for some time the Amber Alert, Mickey, for about 10 years ago. I don't know if this was, was this a New Jersey thing, the Amber Alert, or was it nationwide? Here. Everybody has it now. It's like, oh my it's God. like the Sig so, Alert. So Everybody buy has Sig Alerts now. This doesn't happen anymore. The-
0: so anyway, 2008, CamStreams with with Michelle, I met, uh, met this French classical music composer, Pascal Dupin, who thought that I was somewhat of a shark. And so he composed what he called Ode to the Moral Leader. Oh. Was composed by Pascal Dupin. Here he is. He n'a pas vu le serpent.
2: Tout de même, un serpent. Lorsqu'on est orphée, que l'on sait charmer les fauves, et même les hommes et aussi les arbres et aussi les rochers, on devrait okay. le voir, pas? ce serpent.
0: But uh, puis, major, major Martin classical music composer,
2: serpent, was. often uh, in my ans.
0: little CamStreams chat room. All right, uh, back to the, back to the horror quake. This is uh, Robert Wright. Com- about Amber Alerts. Amber Alert. But
1: it used to be that when anyone, whenever a child was reported abducted in your area, and most of the time, this was just like a custody dispute or something. There was no physical danger. Post-
0: uh, Ricardo says, Luke is coming to the realization that IQ does not equate with wisdom. I think I always realize that. I don't think I've come to any realizations. The higher your IQ, the more comfortable you are living in an abstract world. All right. So this show is devoted to, you know, abstract topics. And it is composed of people like me who largely live in an abstract world because we have an above average IQ. And so it's, more, it's very pleasurable for us to live a great deal of our time in an abstract world. The downside to this is that we can become incredibly disconnected to reality compared to people who don't enjoy living in an abstract world who frequently, if not usually, have lower IQs. But because they don't enjoy living in an abstract world, they are more connected to reality. So if you spend a lot of time in an abstract world, you're very likely to believe or be preoccupied with all sorts of ridiculous things because you are cut loose from the normal concerns.
1: ...to the child. who's just some pissed
0: off spouse saying, you know, whatever. And
1: they would buzz everyone in the state.
0: Where was I when the earthquake happened? I was at home. Like... I felt uh, my, my chair jolting. I was sitting in my chair at my computer. I think it was about 4 p.m. last Sunday afternoon. Uh, I felt it, but lots of people around me didn't didn't feel it. I think the most intense I ever felt was like July 3rd, July 4th. I think of last year when there was like a 7 earthquake about 90 minutes drive from, from here. I, I think two days in a row there was like a 7.1 earthquake about 90 minutes from here and that was pretty intense
1: you know whatever they're doing they're like walking on a tightrope between buildings or something and, you know i mean millions died i <laughs>
0: exaggerate but um
1: and you had to it was this was the, the default condition was to be subjected to this until you googled it and figured out how to go into your phone and change it i mean please right. Wait, thing herself, by the way but yeah
5: although you don't know how to go and change it that, that, i'm uh, uh I, I have a new car and everybody's having a similar complaint about new cars uh i, I have a Subaru, and it's constantly alerting me about things and actually, they've all been helpful so far. Okay. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't know how to change it. It's an incredible.
1: Like, what kind of things? Path. Does it alert path path you to? That's not my
5: limited. Oh, it tells you when, you, when you're when you veering out of your lane. Oh, it yeah. tells you when you're stopped in traffic and the car in front of you has moved and you're sitting on your cell phone. Oh, I better go because the car in front of me is moving. Yeah. Uh, it tells me when I'm going too fast into the car in front of me, so I'm about to crash into it. Huh. Uh, all those things are useful.
1: I don't have those uh, last two, but, like, but
5: I'm happy with what I have. I like but, the basic. But there are a lot thing. of complaints that the cars now are saying, uh, isn't it? Isn't it time for a cup of coffee? Wouldn't you really like a cup of coffee? Oh, mine has a little uh, thing that
1: shows up. Yeah. A little coffee. Well, icon. But does it say it? Is it subsidized it's by Starbucks? No, is that no, how it thing, doesn't think me about that. No, it's just a little thing shows up in the dashboard. Wouldn't it like a nice cup of Folgers now? Yeah, but I'm pretty uh, happy on balance with the way mine works. I mean, it, it you know, if I've got the thing fully engaged, uh, you know, it, it doesn't just tell me when I'm crossing my lane without a blinker. This is on the highway when I'm going fast. It, it Guides me back into the lane. I love it. Well, I can. There's a button I can push to have it do but I know where that button is. Or I used to. Mm-hmm. But the, the, the basic problem is the
5: taxes, the limited bandwidth of boomers, into figuring out how to change all these things in settings. Whereas like, is, the younger generation does that instantaneously, and it's no big deal for them. Yeah. But it is a big deal for us.
1: It is. It is. It is no small thing. It's no small demand on uh, our limited cognitive I, resources. I have a feeling we're going to run out of time. So can I make my do it. pessimism optimistic point?
5: Do it. Uh, everybody was saying that uh, you know, candidates should be more optimistic. You know, a candidate who was pessimistic doesn't do well. Look at Reagan; he was optimistic. And Ann Coulter, I cheated on you. I did a podcast with her, and she makes it the before. This. You've done that before. I know. And what? Know what you think It doesn't
1: hurt me or something. What do you think I am? You think I'm a fucking robot? You think I'm an AI? I don't have feelings.
5: I'm Alpha Bob. I don't have to deal with a deal with. I these. think we established to, in the Reddit podcast that actually you're not. I don't have to show empathy for your pain. Biden has to show empathy for your pain. I'm not running for president. I don't have to. I,
1: mean, I just proceed willy nilly
5: along my course, and if there's some roadkill along the way, like your ego. We don't care about it anyway. He demolished that point but she pointed out Reagan was basically when he ran against Carter was very pessimistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know he was constantly how horrible things are. Are you better off? The country's going to shit. uh And it, it was after he basically he, he was a, he did have a sunny disposition. But after, when did the Morning in America stuff come? Morning did... America came after he'd been president for four years. That's the point. Oh, so he, you know, he always saw America as a shining city on a hill, but he was basically pretty pessimistic. And right. my point is that today's pessimism is a little different. People. Don't want like a sunny outlook. Everything is happy, and the American dream works. That's Tim Scott's message. Uh, they don't want that. They see a future, and the fu- they don't see a happy future. They see a future of robots and AI and class
1: stratification and stratification mm-hmm. by IQ and the Hernstein nightmare and the elites. Yeah, I, know, I barely can off. talk to anybody, Mickey, without them bringing up the Hernstein nightmare. It's just, she goes, right. "Hey, well, how right. you doing?" And they say, "Well, if it weren't for the fucking Hearnstein nightmare, I'd be a lot better."
5: Well, you're in Princeton, Bob. That's that's the uh, the capital of the hernstein nightmare. They don't think about the other people, the little people who and are left out. You, they are, are really. just, you are the, in
1: the I just want to establish the Hernstein nightmare is not just your weird obsession. Everyone is talking about it. You're the, the capital Blade of the cognitive oh, anyway, people funny. see
5: it. People see a future that's pessimistic. and They don't want somebody who's sunny about it, but they want somebody who holds out some hope that there is a future, that it will all work out. There's a future that will be okay. And I am that's that man? Want. Is that
1: where we're heading? I am that man?
5: You're not that man. Oh. What will their lives be like in 50 years? It'll be so fucking good. Okay. They don't want it to be happy and everything is a shining city on the hill. They just want some hope. And mm-hmm. the candidates, you know, the sort of tried to do that. And he did like 50% of it. That was better than the other people did. But, um, uh. You know what is so great about the future obviously there'll be tremendous medical advances that's good we'll live longer that'll be good but um uh you know we're declining power basically facing a rising power everything all the signs are dark and, and the question is uh you know so that's my response to culture we don't want sunny reaganism or what's suspected what's imputed well, to reagan
4: but actually, we,
0: we want yeah. hope and dude he's, he's yeah. not exactly vivek ramaswamy himself well but- okay talking here about the latest indictments now, so, now, this is, now this is my question wait a second now
1: is that for much of his audience is that evoking black people? Is that what they're thinking? Overweight black people on welfare? Because I don't do they- know.
3: I mean, it, 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 it's, it's- uh, let me rewind here. I mean, don't, I don't to- think it's just
1: politicians, political elites by any means. But anyway, our commenters, uh, as for my other problems, they're the obvious ones, and our commenters um, kind of took care of it. Uh, yeah, they, they got the they got the wrong. Well, that's a question. First, yeah. let's let's get to the, the 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 part about obesity. You know, the obese milking welfare. I mean, that that's like that's like a big chunk of the song. He revisits it.
0: He, first of all, refers... Right. Talking to about uh, the rich men north of Richmond. ...to obese people on welfare. And then he goes
1: into later, like, if you're 300 pounds and five foot three, you don't need food stamps. I mean, give it a rest, he's, dude. He's not exactly Vivek Ramaswamy himself. Well, but, now, um, this, now this is my question. Wait a second. Now, is that, for much of his audience, is that evoking black people? Is that what they're thinking? Overweight black people
0: on welfare? Because I do don't
5: they, know. I mean, it, it, it's, it's not, it's not in, in so many words evoking black people because there's a whole lot of obese
0: white people on welfare true, too. but maybe they think, uh, maybe... Okay, so let's say it does evoke black people. Is that for reasons that are rooted in reality, or is that for reasons that are just pure meanness, racism, and bigotry? Because if, for example, black people, say, weighed more on average than races of same height, or if they took disproportionate amounts of welfare compared to other groups, then it would indicate that that prejudice has some basis in reality. He thinks but my friends aren't on food store. I mean, there's a ton of obese white people in the Trump constituency.
1: You travel across America, Middle America is has no small well, number of obese white the, people. The but,
5: great danger is, you know, is is white people in JD Vance's country going on welfare where they haven't been before. So he has a he, he is speaking very fairly precisely at what the great greatest danger is, uh if you want to give him credit. And if you don't want to give him credit, he was making a racist appeal to, to white people. Or in any on an welfare. An, or in any but, event,
1: as, as our commenter Taylor Washburn said, uh it's it's uh it's mean spirited. Um it's a nasty way to talk about your neighbors and fellow citizens. I agree. Here, here. Plus, plus, another thing. It's like obese people,
0: you know, as if, oh, where's their agency? Well, look, this fucking guy apparently had a serious drinking problem. In- so a lot of people I know, you know, looked out on the taking of welfare, and then some of them have changed. And they say, look, if everyone else is working the system, uh, we should work the system, too. So I'm of the former camp. I, I think there's something shameful taking welfare if you don't absolutely need it. Until two months ago and then said, God, if you'll
1: give me a hit song, I'll straighten <laughs> it out. I don't think he said that, but he made some deal with God. But but I mean if I had said to him three months ago, look, you're a fucking alcoholic, you don't deserve shit for
0: This is Ricardo in the chat, he says, I hate Robert Wright, the ultimate spineless weasel. Bro, he's just has a different hero system than you. Right? He just he just experiences life differently. It doesn't make him a bad man. From the government. Whatever whatever subsidies you do enjoy we're taking away, you chose to be an alcoholic. What do you say
1: about that? I mean the truth is i think think he say I'm not taking any subsidies i a bet, I'll bet he is taking some, and that's another thing he doesn't understand. But uh, but uh
0: so the twelve step perspective is that we don't choose to be addicts, that addiction is something that creeps up on us. We do the best we can with the tools that we have at our disposal, and what often turns into a compulsion or an addiction is some you know coping mechanism that we may have developed, such as drinking or gambling or using pornography. And then the coping mechanism over time becomes maladaptive. So it's a useful perspective to help the addict overcome or move through self-hatred, which is something that has been a tremendous problem for me. <laughs> I've, I've just been overwhelmed by self-hatred through much of my life. It's only significantly started to diminish in the last seven years.
5: Welfare well, welfare's money goes to people who could work and don't, and that's what he means by it. And I think you're right to stigmatize those people. Well, I
1: I, I, I think someone uh, who's been an alcoholic or any other person should recognize that, like, when you see...
0: I agree with Ricardo. Welfare is shameful. I didn't work for 10 months. I drained, drained by 401k instead of taking unemployment. Ricardo says that Robert Wright's hero system doesn't change the fact that he's a spineless weasel. His hero is money and status. He'll read the room say whatever he thinks he needs to to get ahead. That's not fair. That's not true. He is often said on popular things. He is strongly opposed to U.S. Military aid to Ukraine to our current policy with regard to Ukraine, which is a very unpopular position among the elite of which he is a member. So he has taken a lot of unpopular positions. See an obese person? You don't know why they're obese. He co-hosts a show with Mickey Kaus, who is considered, you know, outside the Overton Window by, you know, much of the elite for his anti-immigration and pro-Trump stances. It, they may have a serious oh. metabolism problem. It may be X, Y, or Z. It's, we are all. Let me finish. Oh. We are all. Robert Wright stands for nothing other than avoiding pain, says Riccati. You should read his book. Did he write one called The Moral Animal? He's written a lot of you know, thoughtful, often brave work. He's, he's very much of a Darwinian. He very much believes that there are profound biological differences between men and women, for example. So I think his first New Republic cover story was, you know, bad news, feminists. You know, Charles Darwin has bad news for feminists. Victims and those
1: of us who are have relatively good lives are just fucking lucky. We were born with whatever genes we have and into whatever environment we were born into. That is and the rest of is the not the-
0: And Ricotta says Robert Wright's Ukraine stance is rooted in his physical cowardice. Well, is your Ukraine stance rooted in physical cowardice? Is my Ukraine stance rooted in physical cowardice? That's a cheap shot, bro
5: mindset of this song the song is not empathy. i understand it's that
1: i understand a, that there's a difference between my Your universal
5: yeah. recognition of blamelessness it is a pissed off song drawing some distinctions and the other the other way it's unempathetic is not empathetic to epstein's victims he's basically saying uh why are we spending so much time talking about these pretty girls who are underage who were victimized by epstein on his island let's talk about some west virginia coal miners that's more important he is explicitly pissing on the because of the epstein victims what's
1: well, worse that's than that too. it's worse than that i thought that the populist critique of elite oppression included the whole Epstein phenomenon rich and powerful men having things their way right. and then right. covering so, it up when the police. He
5: should be
0: allying himself right. as a fellow right. victim with it. But it, he isn't doing song. that. It's no, that's why. It's, that's why it's... And Ricardo says, just listen to his voice and look at his face. Well, he didn't choose his voice, he didn't choose his face. All right. His voice and face are largely the result of the, the genes that he was born with and then his early imprinting. Right, you have to get voice lessons to change your voice, change your life. It's an interesting song because he takes has all these weird takes that are yeah, not the they, conventional take but they, they, do they are in. You think Robert Wright has ever taken a punch? I do, because he grew up in Texas, and I suspect people who grew up in Texas have taken a punch. Coherent? It's not incoherent, It's a perfectly plausible thought. You just despise Robert Wright because he's that red, non-Jewish member of the intellectual elite, and you think, ah, he's a goyish cop. He doesn't belong there. Cup is uh, Yiddish for Gentile brain. These are these are rich Yiddish. privileged. They actually aren't rich Yiddish. privileged
5: girls. They were they Yiddish. were they were they were uh, lower class working class girls. A lot of them. Aside but, um, from
1: aside from it's being crude, mean spirited, and incoherent, I have no complaints about it. I actually like the tune. I actually like the tune. It, was, it,
5: was, it I, I, the thing I like about it. Uh, other than the fact that it went from a tweet to number one in America in like a week and a half, uh, is is the way that these guys write these angry songs. I you know I'm filled with rage against the elites. I just hate the way our society is going. We have to do something. We have to get angry. We need a revolution. Then it becomes a hit, and they go, oh, I'm so grateful. I feel blessed that you've made my song a <laughs> number one song. Well, you also, <laughs> like, did you hear goes him? Goes, All right.
0: Did you hear him where he said, right, the more successful you are, the more <laughs> rooted, the more you'll be in the current system, the more allegiance you'll feel for the current system, the more gratitude you'll feel for the current system that protects you and your private property. Right, The less you have, right, the less reason you'll have to feel allegiance and respect and gratitude for the current system.
1: And this may be in reaction to blowback that it's implicitly racist or this or that, but where he says diversity is what makes America great. We're a melting pot. Did you see that little clip?
3: No, no. Oh
0: yeah, that was going, his fans were disappointed. Ricardo says Robert Wright is a traitor to his people. Hey, he is is,
3: uh,
0: not pro-Israel, right? He's doing a series on the Overton window. Episode one was on Israel. And against American uh, support for, for Israel to the extent that we've been supporting Israel. Ziyagdami is real, says the chat. The wealthiest of people and corporations receive hordes of welfare from the government. It's honestly shameful to not juice the system for whatever you can when in a lower position. Well, it's not a good idea to do this if it has a negative effect on you. Everything we do has an effect on us. So I remember one time I was driving along and I came to a sudden stop. And someone in an SUV just ran into the back of me at a substantial rate of knots. And I was driving like a one-ton Dodge you know, B350 Charger van. And so I didn't sustain that much damage. I had a seatbelt on. I you know, didn't sustain any physical harm. And uh, the next day, the drivers, I exchanged information with the driver. The next day, his insurance calls me. And I said, hey, I'm fine. I'm, I'm not making a cl- claim. And the insurance adjuster was just shocked that I wasn't trying to juice the system. But when you juice the system, it takes a toll on you. For example, you make some kind of claim. You're strongly incentivized to exaggerate or to plumb the depths of how your life has been diminished by the incident. And so then you spend much more time thinking about how you've been harmed, how you've been victimized, instead of building a great life. So when you give in and start juicing the system unnecessarily, it has a negative effect on you. People were going, "Oh shit!" We thought he was yeah. a good guy. Yeah.
5: The best thing. The best thing about Vivek Ramaswamy's closing speech, we, I thought. I thought none of his speeches were all that good, except for the closing. And by then, people tuned out. But he said, "You know, we we law diversity in America, but we've over we overemphasized diversity at the expense of our unity and identity, and how we're all together as equals." That was that was in a very good way. It got like eighty five percent of the critique of diversity in a way that appealed to people, and uh, I thought that was great. So I don't mind people say diversity he, he, uh, is a strength.
1: If you also say it, it's overemphasized and the important thing is, is he scares me as a phenomenon and it's just it's just generic it's not really even about his ideology but just a phenomenon that we've seen more and more of rich guy decides to to elevate himself to a prominence by running for president and, and that's what i was that's what i was going for in my senate run I didn't and he's how did that how did that go for you maybe you need to be rich
0: so for, for many jews they would not take welfare right many jews considered it shameful to take welfare and they instead relied upon the community if necessary to help them through so there's a Unfortunately, a substantial portion of Orthodox life that is quite willing to juice the system for all it can get, but there's also a substantial portion of traditional Jewish life that would do everything it can not to take welfare from the government. Uh, sure. well,
1: I need, we're more charismatic or something. There's that, but go ahead, sorry. I interrupted.
0: No, I mean, you get the idea. So
1: we're moving toward oligarchy because, okay, so so the two guys in the Democratic side last well, time, like Andrew Yang and that, whoever that billionaire was, okay, they weren't good enough to do well. Ramaswamy probably won't do the nom- be the nominee, but he is very skilled. He says, and, and he is completely cynical so far as I can tell in terms of which right, positions I right. take. Uh, he's Wait. like, and, and it would be catastrophic if you were president and did the shit he's saying he's going to do. But, but until and one of these guys is
5: actually elected to something. Uh, if you see me, where it's it, going, he's good. Oh, it's going, well, the, it, 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 the technology and various forces enable a guy like that. He's also a complete stocking horse for Trump. So he's right. totally just doing Trump's bidding, he's saying nice things about Trump. He's deluding the field, uh, taking votes from anybody who could challenge Trump. So there's right. that. I think, he, I think he's a little bit of a flash in the pan. I would be surprised.
1: Yeah, but uh, I, I would be surprised
5: the... if he does well in more than one primer.
1: Mickey, you meant, you're mentioning that technology makes impossible. Naturally turns all of our minds to my 1985
0: piece in the Sciences magazine called
1: Democracy's Impending Demise.
0: When I Okay. So this is Mickey causa's take on the latest Trump indictments. I, mm-hmm. I, I want to
5: deploy my big theory on Trump before we run out of time. Sure. My big theory, everybody's saying Trump, he's so dominant, he sucks the oxygen out of the room. I think this past week has been, the past few months have been very good for Trump because, uh, first, you have to remember people people remember the Trump years fondly. They were good years until 2019. Uh, the economy was, was doing very well. The, you know, the, the vast areas of flyover country were doing very well. People have a, a good memory, and they tend to forget how crazy Trump is. So when Trump goes off screen for a while, i.e., uh, he's off Twitter, he's being indicted, he's otherwise busy, uh, he rises. People don't remember how crazy he was, and so... Uh, he, they had the Des Moines Register had concrete evidence that when they indicted him, he rose in the polls. So people have sympathy for him because he's indicted, and because he's indicted, he talks about his indictment and not the other crazy shit that he would come up with to fill the available media space if he wasn't indicted. Mm-hmm. So it seems to me the 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 chances of him actually beating Biden have risen dramatically for that reason. People remember the good times. He's not reminding them how crazy he was, and he has sympathy for being indicted. And it's a terrible pylon. Four indictments of the leading king. Can- I mean, mm-hmm. it's a ridiculous liberal pylon, uh, and people are realizing that. And. Uh, it Also, Biden's having bad weeks. He's going. He's allegedly being attacked for not feeling empathy and feeling people's pain. Uh, all those are unfair, but nevertheless, they're having a toll. So I think this week dramatically shifted in sort of your direction of, God, the Democrats have to dump Biden uh, if they want to stave off Trump. And I think, uh, you know, the, the the idea that my idea, the idea that Trump can't win, so the Republicans have to dump Trump, is fading. Mm-hmm. Uh, our one hope is that he's now on Twitter again, so he'll start saying crazy things. And oh, is, he on, again? is he, he on Twitter
1: again? The, the day
5: of the indictment, he went back on Twitter. Is he calling it? He must Twitter? let him back on. So it's being
1: considered a courageous act. Is Trump calling uh, Twitter or X? If we keep calling Twitter, I'll vote for him. This is an important cause to me. Uh, anyway, that's, that, that's, that's my theory that. Uh,
0: well, let me ask you something. Okay, so I think that's pretty commonsensical. Trump is being given the advantage by being indicted. It means that he's got the Republican presidential candidacy you know, in a stranglehold, and it's also seeming to help his standing vis a vis Joe Biden. All right, main topic I want to talk about today is this David Wallace, not David Brooks, essay in The Atlantic, How America Got Mean in a Culture Devoid of Moral Education. Generations are growing up in a morally inarticulate, self-referential world. So i get to that in a minute. But I I really enjoy the perspective of this, uh, frequently a science writer, David Wallace-Wells, formerly of The New Yorker. His brother, Benjamin Wallace-Wells, still writes for The New Yorker. Uh, David wallace Wells wrote a book about climate change that came out in 2019 It was quite pessimistic. Now he sounds more optimistic and here he presents a perspective that I'm hearing more of lately and I think is good news. I don't talk much about climate change because I don't know much about it. I don't have any strong views, but I think what David wallace Wells says here is, is good news. And if it's true, then, yeah, let's embrace green technology.
6: Say a couple of things. One is that um, some quite trusted analysis suggests that at least 90% of the world and maybe 95% of the world now lives in places where renewable energy is cheaper than dirty energy. 90 to 95% of the world. Mm -hmm. Um, It's in many places, including lots of the U.S., now cheaper... To build a new renewable resource from scratch than to continue running at least a coal an existing coal plant.
1: And the best renewables in that way are what? Solar, nuclear, what? I don't even uh, um solar, but- yeah, solar. But it it all depends on where on where you are. And who, like, you know,
6: England is it's better to build wind, but um, you know, in, and okay. in,
1: uh, Kansas maybe uh, wind. Well, although I have some sun. Okay, go yeah, ahead.
6: Um, the
1: but we still have this language of
6: guilt and shame and competitiveness and cooperation, um, which I think is really blinding us to some of the dynamics here, which is really that we're in much more of an arms race than we are in a competition, you know, in, in a in a like you know, in a competition to see who moves who goes last. Um it's like what do you, what um, you mean
1: by that? The arms race is in what? In We're trying to deploy more tech. I mean, you Mm. know,
6: China is not a perfect actor by any stretch. You know, they are building, they have like half the world's coal. They're still building coal plants. Um, A lot of their renewable tech is being produced under something like slave conditions in Xinjiang. Like this is, it's not, I don't want to paint them as like a a green dream. Um, Right. You know, but they have built roughly half of all the world's renewable capacity in recent years. They are building this year 150% um, more solar capacity than they built last year so Mm they more than doubled their renewable their solar rollout from last year 10 years ago they were building they weren't exporting any cars of any kind now they're the world's biggest auto exporter and their electric vehicle company is like poised to like really compete with the german companies and maybe even american companies depending on how all that shakes out they are like um so gung-ho aggressive about building out green tech. They control 90% of the world's solar supply chain. Right. They see this as the industrial revolution of this century. And, and, and the do last... they see
1: it that way because, well, maybe you don't know, but because they anticipate they see that look, this is becoming just cheaper. Everybody's going to want it cheaper than the than the carbon heavy alternative or because they anticipate that this is going to that this is the big crusade and people are willing to pay for it for environmental reasons. They just think it's going to be cheaper, is that it?
6: It's not just cheap, it's also better in many other ways. So, I mean, we talked about the, some of the public health benefits. You know, we have 10 million people dying a year from air pollution, at least 8 million of them from the burning of fossil fuels. Like that is an, every single year.
0: That is uh-huh. an un- Okay, so this figure, 10 million people a year dying from air, air pollution. But the, as I understand, the science behind that is pretty dodgy. We can't exactly say how air pollution is killing people. So please correct me if I'm wrong. I find David Wallace-Wells interesting here. I'm just wondering if what he's saying is is re- truly reflective of the science.
6: Large cost. Um, we have, you know, the, the um, people worry a little bit about the extract it, the extraction, the mining that will be required for a, a renewable revolution. But if we put our if we imagine world at net zero, the total mining that is required to produce that net zero outcome is something like a couple of percentage points of today's oil and gas extraction. So we're also, it's a much, much smaller footprint in that sense. Um, it allows much more local control, national control over energy and transportation. It allows us to rebuild many of our, um, you know, in the, for the purpose of making them more carbon neutral, much of our infrastructure to also allow it to survive in a in a, um, in a world beset by many more climate disasters um so for all of these reasons it's just um the future now there are things holding us back our status quo bias our you know income
0: okay so some possibly great news there from david wallace wells i don't know anything to dispute him all Right, the chat asks will i be buying a trump in, in prison or a trump mugshot uh, t-shirt so i don't wear t-shirts with you know any messages on them i I don't wear shirts any accoutrement any form of clothing with words on it (laughs) all right i I don't wear like dallas cowboys regalia i don't wear political regalia i live in west los angeles now beverly hills is probably more republican than than democrat but no i'm not going to (laughs) be buying any of that i i don't know do i have a make america great again i think i do have have a uh, Uh, make america great again baseball cap
3: uh, somewhere but i wouldn't wear it out into public the chat says don't forget the corruption at the top
0: the new immigrants capable of successful fraud will only keep following the example set by a most successful and uh, ricardo says anything evolution-based is by definition not scientific on what basis (laughs) ricardo Ricardo says, America's entire problem is that we're swimming in insular minorities that don't assimilate and take welfare. I don't think that's our entire problem, or even our major problem. Our major problem is uh, violent crime. And also, America's welfare state is about the least prodigal of any major first world country, of which I'm aware. We're the only first world country that doesn't have socialized medicine. Okay, you're saying... Come on, mate, get to this David Brooks essay. I want to hear your analysis. It's David Brooks essay. So I haven't haven't live-streamed doing the the big show in a week, because instead I've been spending my time decoding this David Brooks essay, How America Got Mean in a Culture Devoid of Moral Education, Generations Growing Up in a Morally Inarticulate, Self-Referential World. So the key term that i'm going to jump on there is self referential i mean that is the basis of enlightenment thinking that is the basis of modern you know liberal left thinking is that meaning is something that the individual can decide just you know with his own brain that the the buffered identity of the individual you know aside from everything going on around him he can decide for himself quite effectively where to get meaning in life, and what is right and wrong, while the traditional perspective is that we are not primarily individuals with inalienable rights. We are primarily members of families, extended families, communities, groups, tribes, a nation. So I stand with the traditional perspective. We are primarily members of tribes, right? We get our sense of meaning. We get our sense of morality. We get our hero system, generally speaking, from our community, from our extended family, from our people from our tribe and so you won't understand me you know without understanding the tribe of which I'm a part of I'm convert to Orthodox Judaism you also won't understand me without understanding the the people that I came from uh, primarily 15 16th of my genetics is anglo-saxon and 1 16th of my genetics is Chinese so I don't hold with this self referential worldview but David Brooks here is criticizing the self-referential world that people live in now. But to do away with that, you have to do away with, with the whole edifice, the whole framework of enlightenment, post-enlightenment, liberal left thinking that dominates almost all of our institutions, our elites, academia, our educational system. It's all about that you should follow your own bliss, that you can develop meaning on your own, that you can decide for yourself what is right and wrong. Uh, Ricardo says, evolution narrative was inspired by hating God and his son, Jesus. Well, either it's true or it's false, or we don't have enough evidence. It doesn't really matter that much what inspires it. Ricardo says, our welfare state funds our invaders. European welfare has historically gone to their own people. Right, so if America were less diverse, there would be more welfare. People feel much more comfortable paying taxes to support social welfare spending for their own people rather than outside outsiders. And right, how America got mean. So David Brooks says over the past eight years or so, I've been obsessed with two questions. Why have Americans become so sad? The rising rates of depression being well publicized as of the rising deaths of despair from drugs, alcohol, and suicide, but other statistics are similarly troubling sending to people who say they don't have close friends has increased forward since 1990. Share of Americans ages 25 to 54 who aren't married or so or living with a romantic partner went up from 38% in 2019 to 38% in 2019 from 29% in 1990. A record high 25% of 40-year-old Americans have never married. More than half of Americans say that no one knows them well. Percentage of high school students who report persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness shop up from 26% in 2009 to 44% in 2021. Buffet. So, am I pronouncing buffet wrong? How would you say buffet?
2: The Frenchman who makes French pronunciation videos here on YouTube, and we are looking at how
7: to pronounce a word of French origin, but that is also commonly used in English. We are looking at how to pronounce this word designating a meal consisting of several dishes from which guests serve themselves. How do you go about pronouncing it? In French, we would say buffet buffet, but in English or American, it is generally pronounced buffet.
3: Right, buffet,
7: fair denkum.
3: Uh The chat says American conceptions
0: of friendship is weird. Yeah, there's much more of a sense of mateship in England and Australia than in America. America is much more uh, individualized, and by comparison to America, English and Australian culture is more corporate, uh, it's more about mateship and your friends and you know getting along with your mates rather than just individual success why have americans become so mean writes david brooks he says a restaurant owner told him he has to eject a customer from his restaurant for rude or cruel behavior once a week something that never used to happen head nurse at a hospital told her told him that many honor staff are leaving the profession because patients become so abusive my question is uh, those patients paying their way or are they being subsidized? I noticed that people who are subsidized tend to treat others much more rudely. Uh, hate crimes have risen. Murder rates have been surging and gun sales. Social trust is plummeting. In the year 2000, two-thirds of American households gave to charity in 2018. Fewer than half did. The words that define our age reek of menace. Conspiracy, polarization, mass shootings, trauma, safe spaces. So what the heck? Haven't I been pronouncing the T in buffet? I don't think I've been pronouncing the T in buffet. What the heck is going on with America? And according to David Brooks, we're enmeshed in some sort of emotional, relational, and spiritual crisis. It undergirds our political dysfunction and the general crisis of our democracy. What is going on? There have be various explanations. There's the sociology story that we've stopped participating in community organizations, and we've become more isolated. There's a demographic story. America, long a white-dominated nation, is becoming a much more diverse country, and this changes, these changes have made millions of white Americans panic. Sociologists, undoubtedly right, we're more isolated, but why? What values lead us to choose lives that make us lonely and miserable? And we inhabit a society in which people are no longer trained how to treat others with kindness and consideration. The society has become one in which people feel licensed to give their selfishness free rein. David Brooks says, the story I'm going to tell is about morals in a healthy society, a web of institutions from family schools, religious groups, community organizations, and workplaces help form people into kind and responsible citizens, the sort of people who show up for one another. Now we live in a society that ter- that's terrible at moral formation. And he says that along with this ethos of moral formation that's dominated America for so long, it has prevailed alongside all sorts of hierarchies that we now find abhorrent, white, superior to blacks, men to women, Christians to Jews, straight people to gay people. But you can't have a society without hierarchy, right? So in our current hierarchy, it is the educated who are generally considered superior to the less educated, the higher IQ are generally considered superior to the lower IQ, Uh, those who articulate the right sort of social justice positions who are considered morally superior to those who can't Uh, those who embody the disengaged buffered autonomous strategic self advocated by you know modern left liberalism who are considered morally superior to those who have more primal and primitive connections to say blood and soil moral formation so To me, what's uh, going on is that we're suffering a decline in social trust and social cohesion brought about by the triumph of this individualist enlightenment perspective of left liberalism and by the civil rights industrial complex, which brings about unprecedented amounts of government intrusion into our lives
3: and incentivizing costly litigation, costing billions and billions of dollars and we
0: have diminished our traditional understandings of private property, the US constitution and freedom of association. And we've also allowed it enormous amounts of immigration. Put this all together, Americans have less in common with each other and they feel fewer incentives to bond. Remember being at Sinai Temple in Westwood and the then mayor of Los Angeles, Antonio Villaraigosa, encouraged us to talk to someone who doesn't speak our language. So how are we gonna talk to someone who doesn't speak our language? So the quality of civic life has significantly declined in America over the past 50 years. And so people are rationally isolating more, and lonely people tend to be unhappy and mean. Now, I used to think moral education was where I was at. That's why I got so enthused about Dennis Prager and ethical monotheism and Judaism and the Torah. But then I realized to my chagrin that moral education didn't really make much of an effect on me nor on other people I knew I also noticed to my chagrin that religious transformations also generally didn't make much of a difference to the moral character of most people I knew. What it did seem to make a difference was when people got bonded and got happy. I noticed many people morally improving when they got married. I noticed that happy people naturally incline towards moderately helping others, people who are happy and have strong bonds, right? Very different quality of lives compared to those who lack such bonds. I noticed that lonely people are always miserable. And pretty much a threat to the well being of people around them. So, I noticed that atheists with strong bonds, with strong families, tend to be far finer and happier than religious people I know without such attachments. So, it basically comes down to the quality of your attachments. What are the quality of your relationships? What are the quality of your bonds? When we live lives embedded with other people, we will be shaped by those relationships and we will generally live in a pro social direction because we don't want to hurt those things that are most precious to us, our relationships to others. So if you like your boss, you're going to carry a sense of your boss with you even when you live stream, you know, even when you're you know, going about on your weekend. If you like your spouse, if you like your kids, if you like your friends, if you like your community, if you like your church or your synagogue, you're going to carry a sense of those bonds, those connections, those attachments, those relationships with you through everything you do and you're not going to want to bring shame or harm to the people you love. Now, all things being equal, do genetic similarities predict closer ties than less genetic similarity? And evidence is pretty clear, all right? The more genetic similarity you have with others, the more comfort you'll feel with them and the better you'll treat them. So by and large, adopted children are not treated as well as
3: biological children. So let's have a look at the chat. Depends on the type of place where you grew up in America. Uh, american culture is dead everyone is rural now and so much tanner than they used to be
0: rap was the last mainstream genre push from the top down well i didn't know how much it was pushed from the top down i think it you could just as much make case it grew organically from the bottom up it's like a, a primitive
3: form that you'd expect to appeal to people with lower than average iqs Uh, marriage and happiness, pretty conclusive. There's uh, Duvid's in the chat and let's
0: bring Duvid into the show. So uh Duvid, how's it how's it going, bro? Shem. So uh what have you what's been going on with you?
7: Thank God. Um, so uh yeah I read the article. Some of you want to jump straight into uh what you were talking about or you want to hear what's going on with me? Uh first of all tell me what's going on with you. Well just relevant to what we talk about um so in Detroit finally the downtown synagogue that did this liberal takeover um you got like 6 million dollars in funds largely from foundations you know, with our new Wexner Scholar Rabbi and today was the grand reopening of you know the new really uh, re- uh imagined uh you know liberal social justice uh synagogue in detroit that uh, i guess god forbid i'm no longer a part of um so you know the mayor's there and uh, you know all the major foundations are there and it kind of became like this elitist uh you know little pocket in in detroit and i took michael to the local young israel to Introduce uh, introduce him to uh, the the rabbi there, who's actually on the conversion committee, and you know, we had a little argument about Judaism, where, where I was trying to explain to him, you know, conversion laws and, uh, you know, I guess kind of what we were talking about the last time, where where it's like you can't just decide you're Jewish. You know, like Judaism is a set of rules, and there's no exception uh, to them and uh you know which generally i say for myself that's why i call myself a half jew there's no exceptions to the rules uh the exception for me is that i'm not really jewish i'm only half jewish but uh we got a little argument about that and you know, we will see what he what he's you know going to do
0: okay and have you started participating more in organized uh jewish life
7: no i, I just went to these series of like medical doctors like my neighbors that were doctors that spoke and the last one was like hardly anyone showed up Uh, although a few of the people I knew from the kiddish club the last one was like a a main kiddish club member so uh they're actually semi-friendly to me and encouraged me to come back um but uh I didn't go to uh services this this sabbath if I was up early I probably would have uh went but uh you know I got up late and you know so we'll see what what happens but uh you know, it's tough to fit into a community and, uh, you know, it'll tie back into, uh, you will know, probably the issue at hand, the article I was just looking at that you shared, uh, you know, the meanness and in my interpretation. So like, yeah, like, come, come, you know, it's nice. Can't we all get along? There's not going to be any politics. And, you know, if you think of like, Michael, can I, you know, can I, can he drive to the shul? Does it make sense that he's going to drive to, uh, you know, come to, you know, Sabbath services in uh, my interpretation, is that most of these battles are zero sum. You know, just like at the downtown synagogue, these cultural battles. So I didn't have any like blowout arguments. Uh, but you know, they won the culture war. I'm on the opposite side of it. Even if I went and they were nice, it would only be if I was like relegated to the sideline and kind of you know contrite to that they won the cultural war. It'd be the same thing if I went to my local Orthodox synagogue. You know, like if I you know, like uh, because. That that's my impression. These battles are zero sum, and as long as they're being waged, you can't really be at peace.
0: Uh, what do you make of all the different groups who claim to be the real Israelites? There's the Black Hebrew Israelites. The, I mean, many Christians claim to be the the real Jews.
7: Um, I I told Michael like my impression from you reading the sages and the you know, the righteous people. And, and my recommendation to him is to look at judaism as an ideal that you could never meet you know like i want to be a jew i'm on i was unsuccessful in my attempt to become a jew i am still trying to become a jew as opposed to like yeah there's a whole bunch of jews so generally i've been sympathetic to israelite movements and i've been um you know questionable of this kind of like accepted like, uh, like of course these guys are jews and, uh, you know, and God forbid, uh, you know, because I went to hardcore Haredi institutes where, you know, basically like the martyr complex was very strong. And, uh, you know, the rabbis, you know, put in like, you know, the main difference between a Jew and a non-Jew is the willingness to sacrifice your life. So this, you know, kind of like dark uh, you know thing, like like you're a Jew, that means you're willing to die for God and you should expect to be called up upon it. So uh you can know, kind of, so that I've been sympathetic to uh anyone who's willing to call themselves a Jew and more questioning of this like accepted yo know, Jewish community.
0: And uh what's been going on with you intellectually since I spoke to you last?
7: I I pivoted to uh the science of expertise and I've actually really enjoy my research now because I'd done like two months of uh truth theory and you know, like Kant and Frege and, and Heidegger, we talked about last time. And now I'm moving, uh, you know, one thing more related to like, to some extent, the only successful thing I have going in my life right now is chess coaching, um, the theory of expertise. So, uh, there's a lot of different models, you know, cognitive psychology, how do you progress from novice to expert, uh, the nature of cognitive structures in the mind, questions of nature versus nurture, uh, you know, deliberate practice, uh, you know, hard work, and the various things. So I've been uh, enjoying my research. I think uh, you're just looking at the topic. It's a huge topic, and I'll probably continue on it for a few months.
0: And before we get into the David Brooks essay, um, I've struggled with the self-loathing and self-hatred through much of my life, and I, I still at times think about things I've said and done that caused me great regret. Uh, do you struggle with this? If so, how do you deal with it?
7: Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I'm a self-loather. That, that's why I took upon extreme Jewish spiritual inclinations, maybe like Calvinist leanings, that it's good to be a self-loather. Uh, you know, like the, the soul is trapped in the body and taking human birth is a punishment. So that's probably what so attracted me to at least certain schools of Hasidic philosophical Judaism that helped explain my self-loathing. And it's like, no, actually I'm righteous. I'm a good person because I've recognized this truth that other people can't see that, uh, you know, so it's like we're already in hell and taking birth was a punishment. Um, so I don't know if you ever went that far in your, you Judaic studies or the extreme your Jewish theological positions like that, that would, uh, you know, somewhat, um
0: No, I I never went as far as that.
7: And and even like the, you know, I was talking about the martyr complex. uh, I I definitely
0: have that. Yeah.
7: (laughs) You know, it's like, well, one day, one day my soul will be freed from my body. Yeah. Uh, you know, so that like self-loathing is actually a sign of righteousness. Actually, when I was young, it was in duties of the heart. And I remember the expression in the book, which I thought about for years and it was that righteous people look forward to the day of their death. And, uh, yeah, you know, I, I mentioned that to a few different people and people are like, oh, that's dark. You like, don't think about it. And then also some of the rabbis, you know, God forbid, serious opinions about the Holocaust. Um, but this concept that righteous people look forward to the day of their death uh, was kind of how I took upon like, oh, my self-loathing is a sign of self-righteousness.
0: And what about the idea of self-esteem? Is this something that you've thought about or read on?
7: Yeah. I mean, I've read a lot about that. And so, you know, there's self-efficacy versus self-esteem and like self-esteem, um, you know, being dependent on feedback or you're just like, kind of like a blind belief in yourself versus a connection to expertise. You know, saying, I know what I could do. Um, I know that if I say I could do something, I'm going to be able to complete it. I, you know, like, uh, I know, um, relative, my performance level to other people, uh, that's self-efficacy as opposed to self-esteem. Like, how do I look at myself? Why I hate myself? Um, You know, I used that that Kurt Cobain picture. Like, I hate myself and want to die, which I think comes from uh, Job, or there's other expressions like the Queen song, Bohemian Rhapsody. Like, I I don't want to die, but sometimes I wish I wasn't born at all, which I probably always felt that way, you know, because I was a depressive youth, a a troubled youth. Um, So that extent, like self-esteem, I don't really have much self-esteem. And like I came like the Judaic value of humility that self-esteem is a bad thing versus self-efficacy, which is a recognition of your capabilities and potentials.
0: And how much did, uh, say, the use of marijuana or the use of alcohol help or hurt with uh, things like self-esteem?
7: Um, it, that was probably the main reason I used it you know, for depressive and to uh, stop myself from I don't know, like probably like thoughts of self-harm. I mean, it's, it was a form of self-harm, but from self-sabotage that I needed to do it in order to not self-sabotage myself. And then you'll know, thank God I fell in love with the research. So at a certain point, I was able to just occupy my time with study that I, I my mind wouldn't slip into self-sabotage and I would just spend my you know my spare time studying.
0: And how much did the practice of Judaism help with uh, self-esteem?
7: Well, it didn't because Judaism was the vehicle for me to recognize that self-esteem is not important. It's fraudulent to say that it's actually better to self-hatred is actually a sign of righteousness. So it was Judaism that allowed myself like, okay, I was chosen. I was special because I recognize things that other people don't recognize and that was a sign of my righteousness, like duties of the heart, you know, so to say that like, you know, great minds, uh, you know, very few great minds are interested in spirituality and the key difference of why great minds can't reach this level is because they can't recognize that, like, so to say, we're already in hell and that the soul doesn't belong in the body. And so that's like the self-esteem, like, why would I be proud of myself? It's a bad thing that I took birth. It's a bad thing that my soul landed in my body. So it took Judaism to give me an out on that to say like "Oh, I feel like that because I'm Jewish, and I feel like that and it's a good thing because i you know I had a intuitive understanding of uh, the deeper uh meanings of Judaism, and that's why I differentiated self esteem from self efficacy that self efficacy like you know, say so you work hard, you know how to do something, you could be proud of it, you could do it as opposed to self esteem self esteem is the sign of basically." a bad person a person who has no enlightenment, a person who doesn't know the true nature of what it means to take birth or the downfall of the soul into the human body.
4: Hmm.
0: So you embrace a type of Judaism that that explained and provided comfort for how you felt about yourself. Is that fair?
7: Yeah, and then I found a circle of like Kabbalist Chasidim that uh, you know, embraced it, and and you know, relative. I went to schools that was basically all the descendants of Holocaust survivors, and uh, you know, I, I felt comfortable in that uh, environment. And, and you know, like people, God forbid, whose you know parents had been murdered, and uh, um, you, you know, glorified this extreme level of suffering uh, with not turning their back on God or some sort of you uh, like as the Hindus would say, "I'm not my body" uh, attitude. So, that, 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 like, just in the last few years of studying psychology, um, or like narrative psychology, I think that's explanatory of my psychological journey and why I found solace in extreme classic groups or, or you know, ended up in schools where basically I was completely surrounded by, uh, your descendants of Holocaust survivors.
0: Now, did being sur- 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 surrounded by, Those type of people, did that help, ironically, your self-esteem and happiness level?
7: Yeah, because I felt like I finally found community, that I finally found an explanation for why I am who I am and a community where I could thrive, where where people were happy to see me get ahead. And, uh, you know, because generally I was just a lone wolf. I was, uh, you know, maybe I got ahead, but no one was happy to see me do well. At most, I had a few friends at a time and of my peers, I was largely unpopular or, you know, unliked or, you know, just thought as weird. And then I was able to, uh, you, you find a community like, uh, you know, saying Yiddish, like that, I could steig in that, uh, that uh, encouraged me to do well, that, uh, you know, we enjoyed our successes together.
0: And how would you explain the, the demise of that community in your
7: life? Well, i just got older and those people became fathers and uh i became an older bachelor and so you probably you know, if you're Casidic and you're like a father of many children and still have this kind of uh extreme ideology it's probably based on being the descendant of holocaust survivors so i'm not a descendant of holocaust survivors I mean, although I have some you know family members who died in the holocaust generally uh all my fam- you my, my major family came to america before world war 1 a jewish family and you know, so my outlook was not in tune with the casita community who uh you know, generally build up big families and have this communal structure based upon teaching their children and forming a safe community for their children even though there was a large form of the alignment on like i guess the self-loathing aspect do you say like haredim. Hasidic Jews, maybe Orthodox Jews in general, also have this uh, glorification of self-loathing.
0: Okay, let's get to the uh, David Brooks essay, How America Got Mean. Here's the the summary sentence. In a culture devoid of moral education, generations are growing up in a morally inarticulate, self-referential world. Any overall thoughts on this essay,
7: David? Yeah, well, I mentioned... To me, I mean, one thing like, okay, obviously Brooks is a Jewish, and you know, we had went through that uh, Rudy, uh, the conservative uh, author, I forget Ru- was it uh, Rudy, Ronnie R- 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 Goldman, Ronnie, yeah, Ronnie Goldman, and kind of like his, you know, like these leading Jewish conservative thinkers, and here you have Brooks as kind of like a conservative thinker, and so you know, one. You know, he ignores kind of like the connection between conservatism and um, demographically homogenous white culture, or even white Christian culture. And, uh, and and I think he also downplays the aspect of the culture wars, where, uh, you know, as I put it, most of these battles are zero sum. And you can't have any comfortability if, on, you know, abortion, immigration, uh, demographics, uh, Christianity versus multiculturalism all these are zero sum and one side's going to win and one side's going to lose so I, to me that has much more explanatory power than anything that he said although he says a lot of uh, uh, you know interesting insights that that to me just fails to uh cover the main issue
4: hmm
0: so when he talks about a self referential world that's one of the biggest differences between uh, a traditional perspective and the modern liberal left perspective because the, the Jewish perspective or any traditional Jewish or any traditional perspective is not a self-referential perspective. You don't create meaning or morality on your own. You you learn it from your tradition and from your community. So to overcome a self-referential world would mean a complete change in the, in the outlook, the worldview, the whole basis for modern thinking to to move from self-referential to you know a a meaning and morality system that instead of referencing the individual primarily references the community so that would that would require a, a vast sea change in our discourse and understanding for for those with this modern left liberal self-referential perspective any thoughts on on that
7: Yeah, I, I saw you're talking about Oliver Anthony, and you know, like that song. I guess people like me, people like you, and the you know, question, what does that mean? People like me, people like you, the self-referential. So, you know, like I was saying, I was never part of anything until I came onto Hasidic Judaism. Then I felt I was part of something. Um, you know, versus a, a you know what it means to be American. Uh, And, you know i get what i was mentioning okay like you know they have the big thing the downtown synagogue they won they got millions of dollars they have a big uh, endowment and a new building and a whole bunch of staff however you're know, at war on these cultural battles like like uh, most of these things like they don't want me there not necessarily because i was mi- misbehaved or put because i disagree so strongly with multiple ones of their tenants. so you know just if i walked in there there would be like, oh man, this guy's there. He's going to start saying his things that we completely disagree with that uh, we're going to have to put down. We're going to have to explain why he's wrong on all these issues. And on the other side, if I went to my local Young Israel Orthodox community, it would be the same thing where, uh, you say like, no, we are engaged in the cultural war and I'm a threat on both sides. And yeah, I'm not sure the intellectual... uh, your know, terminology—he's trying to—you uh, know, put it put it here into me, but but to me it kind of just went past me. I'm not sure if it's really saying anything.
0: Well, I mean, I think it is—it is, it is pretty clear. I, I don't think you can understand people primarily as individuals; rather, you need to understand them as as parts of a team, a group, a, a tribe, a community. One cannot understand Duvid or one cannot understand Luke Ford, without understanding the the community that they're either a part of or that they aspire to be a part of or have been a part of. I mean, so much of what we believe to be right and wrong and the source of meaning in life we get from our Orthodox Jewish community. And it's not just something that we invent on our own, as opposed to a lot of other people who say, oh, you know, I decide right and wrong on my own. I decide community on my own. It's one of the the biggest differences between the the modern liberal left perspective on life the enlightenment perspective on life and the traditional perspective on life but it's not a difference with much importance it seems to you
7: yeah um well, well it is I, I guess i have an interesting point on that uh if i could diverge for a second um on the oliver anthony if it, it's all right sure my initial thought when i saw oliver anthony the first time I, was, I thought it was Travis McMichael, you know, from the, you know, the guy who's in, spending life in prison for killing Ahmed, Ahmed Arbery, which we had talked about a few times. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought that that partially is why he's so, you know, like, oh, this guy who was wronged and the conservatives falling around Oliver Anthony and whether the song's that good or even his message. And I know like Nick Fuentes, like we don't want to hear whining white people. But uh, I thought that partially... Um, and I don't know how much he actually looks like Travis McMichael, maybe he's just the same like hair color, but uh, you know, that's, that's part of that. I don't know if you noticed that when you, when you saw him or you, or you agree that he has some sort of likeness to Travis McMichael or people might be falling behind him because they think Travis McMichael was wronged and uh, you know, shouldn't be in prison and, and wasn't wrong to kill him Arbery. I didn't notice. I don't think about it. Oh, so just a random. So yeah. So you're know, back to your question. I think i had fallen for the delusion still today to this you know concept of a rules-based order so it's not necessarily tribal or my uh, communal it's this concept of a rules-based order And my affiliation to the community is not um you know, it's probably the way brooks is looking at america and like you know the ukraine war and all these various uh internationals like well, there's a rules-based order and your problem is that you're not following these accepted rules and so do be like, well, I'm not part of anything, but I understand the rules-based order. And I figured out how to get ahead in the rules-based order by following the rules. I could, you know, make my money. I could potentially, you know, find a woman and build up a family, um, have my part in society because I understand the rules and I follow the rules. And the problem, you know, with people is uh, you're purely based on their inability to follow the rules-based order, as opposed to an understanding of, tribalism, and that's the question of America, like, well, was conservatism something essentially unique to, uh, your white or Anglo, uh, your Christian norms that were when they were a supermajority, or was it simply a rules-based order, like, you know, like, uh, Vivek Ramas- Ramaswamy or something like that, where it's like, no, it's the constitution, it had nothing to do with white people, it was just a good rules-based order system. And it doesn't matter whether you're white or not. It matters whether you follow the rules-based system. And so, um, I'm not sure if you're you're saying like if you could differentiate it, just that 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 you will even define community that you could uh, you abstract and say, well, what is a community other than a rules-based uh, order? Uh, but you're just like no nepotism is intrinsically a part of a community, and a community means that we don't enforce the rules-based system. And we inherently treat people of our own blood or tribe better than other people, regardless of whether they follow the rules-based order. Well, you
0: and I are both uh, Orthodox Jews, so we're not going to be live streaming on, on the Sabbath, All right? We're not going to be publicly desecrating the Sabbath uh, because that would go against what our community, what our God, what our, our Torah says. So that's an example to me of living by a, a community-based, uh, God-based uh, hero system. All right, we have certain rules. In our community, we're not going to be eating uh, bacon cheeseburgers, at least publicly. <laughs> All right, so that's an example of abiding by a community moral system.
7: Well, I mean, that's why I use the expression specifically, not moral system, rules-based order. It's like morality is a difficult word because that assumes like some question of good or bad as opposed to rules-based order does not necessarily have any indication of good or bad. Like these are the rules, your membership in the community is purely based on your following of the rules and you, who knows whether it's good or bad. Uh, And, you know, we've talked about this many times regarding our position within the community. Like, you know, if you're a rabbi's son or you're a big donor or something, they'll make exceptions to the rules-based order that they might not make to us. Uh, you, you know, say like you want you mess up one time, you're out. As opposed to like you know, God forbid, you're know, the people from prominent families or or your rabbis that did these horrendous things, and they get moved around, or or no one seems um to care. And that might make sense from like a, a tribal level to to say, well, he's part of our tribe, like he's an important part of our tribe, and he broke the rules, but uh, you you're like it's not just about the rules, and you're not really one of us. So, you know, you break one small rule, you're out.
0: Okay, so there are communities with an attitude, you break one small rule and you're out. But there are also plenty of Orthodox Jewish communities that are more uh, flexible and forgiving than than that.
7: When to outsiders, I mean, I mean saying they're, that they're saying like, okay, you want to become a Jew. Like I was telling Michael, like, like you know, you got you to gotta do all this stuff. You got to follow the rules. And then he's saying, "Well, what about all these other Jews who don't do any of these stuff and are still Jews?" We said, "Well, they were born Jews. They don't have to do it to to become a Jew." And then you, you're trying to convert, so I said, "Like, no, it's not. Uh, you know, this Brooks concept of of America as a rules based system, as opposed to a, a tribal, where, where you know, even to say like, well, how does a black, how does a Jew become a conservative? How does a black become a conservative? Well, well, you don't. And even you know, say, well, I'm conservative. I'm a I'm a Republican Jew because I follow the rules." They say, well, you're still not really one of them. You're Jewish or, or like you're black. And then you're going to look, you know, so what happens to you? You're like the, the the white guy who breaks the rules. Well, we're going to give him a second chance, and a third chance and fourth chance and a fifth chance because he's one of us. But, uh, you know, if you're you know back in the old day, like, you know, uh, decades ago, you know, so if you're a Jewish or, or black Republican, you don't get that second chance. You break the rules once you're out. And that's why men in Judaism. That's like, no, that's me or you as like a half Jew or a convert, like the, the rules-based system only applies to you. If you're born in the community, uh, they, they, they will give them a lot more chances. They will enforce the rules to a much lesser standard.
0: Right. So rules are always enforced by people. But if, if you're going to be part of a community, it means internalizing your, your community's hero system. And so nobody internalizes it and lives at 100%. I mean, Orthodox Jews break Jewish law all the time. But it's, it's an overall direction of your life with a sensitivity for what your community considers most important. So if you're going to maintain your place in a community, whether your community is a stamp club, a cricket club, a life-saving club, or an orthodox synagogue, you have to, generally speaking, abide by what your community regards as sacred.
7: Yeah, so in the conservative movement, the first thing that really broke down from sacredness was Christianity. And like maybe, you know, historically, the first exceptions were made for Jews, you're probably going back to England, and like the first people that were allowed to enter Parliament, uh, you know, Disraeli converted, and I forget the first Jew who didn't have to convert, or the various exceptions in American law, um, you're know, the very first minority exception was for Jews that they didn't have to become um, Christian to now Christianity is not that important that you have like Rundel or the Nick Fuentes, like, you know, like you, we can't have these people in charge of us being like non-Christians, the problems that Jews aren't Christian and they have positions of leadership and it necessitates, you know, to, there is no such thing as a Jewish Republican, like by definition, um, you know, to be a Republican, the first thing you have to do is convert to Christianity. And if you're a Jewish Republican, you're not really a Republican. So Brooks is that example. It's so like, no, I'm a Jewish Republican. I follow all the rules except for the rule of Christianity because that was just a stupid rule. And uh, you know, so it's this question of what, what's the community based on and if the community is based on blood or some sort of shared identity versus some sort of idealistic rules that people who are part of the community uh, you'll follow.
0: So David Brooks says there's been a breakdown in moral education in our country, and I used to think that there was nothing more important than moral education. That was my perspective through my 20s, probably through my 30s, and it was really only once I hit my 40s that I I realized that moral education hadn't had much of a positive effect on me, unfortunately, and I became much more skeptical of the power of moral education when compared to the power of forming attachments to people, such as getting married, ha- having a family, having close friends, being part of a community, what do you think has more of an impact on people's individual choices and morality, uh, moral education, or the level of their attachments to other people?
7: Yeah, it's, I mean the attachments to other people that... that uh, I, some people give the quote to Hitler. I think he used it, but uh, you know, other people maybe in the past, you're know, like, uh, uh, you know, the lowest level person uh, forms by maybe it was racial identity, then religious identity, then ideas. Uh, but the people who are willing are going to be capable of forming uh, relationships purely based off of ideals is going to be very small. And the natural method to form identity is just going to be uh, racial or um, religious in, in this question. I mean, so Brooks is kind of like a proto-Noahide, where he's saying it's good that we're no longer a Christian nation. However, you know, the morality, like just follow the Noahide laws and, you know, the moral laws and we'll be fine. Um, but the problems like nihilism and morality implies this good or bad that to some extent has no basis in reality. It has only a basis in religion that uh, you know most atheists that you know, argue that you know, say this concept that the righteous are rewarded and the wicked are punished is fallacious that there is no natural order that obey that people get rewarded for uh, You know, being good people and punished for being bad people in fact It would appear that uh, if you want to get ahead of morality will hold you down And so I don't really see any system to get past it You need some sort of uh, you know, like uh, you know, God a system of order going to hell punishment after death or, or you know for any system of morality, and I, I think these secular morality systems you basically all fail you know, everybody cheats
0: so david brooks uh, he he 's glad about the traditional American way of life with its community and with its moral education, but he deplores its racism and sexism, and it just kind of hit me as I was reading that that a a moderate Application of what is called racism and sexism, meaning one preferring your own people to other people, and two recognizing that different people, including you know say women and men, ha- have different gifts, for example, that women tend to be much more uh, superior at uh, raising children, particularly babies and infants when when compared to to men that uh, that mothers can give things to their children that fathers generally speaking have a tough time doing so it struck me that uh, rather than being the antithesis of reality, the the modest, moderate application of, of racism and sexism are actually a commonsensical foundation for morality. You should prefer your family to other families. You should prefer your community. You should have a higher allegiance to your community than other communities. You should have a higher allegiance to your people rather than other people. And you should recognize that, for example, women have gifts that men, generally speaking, do not, that men have gifts that uh, women, generally speaking, do not, that the the gifts, for example, of Ashkenazi Jews are quite distinct on average from the gifts of Sephardic Jews or Mizrahi Jews. And the gifts of, say, Ashkenazi Jews and West Africans tend to be different. So what do you think about obviously you can go too far with racism and sexism. You can be obnoxious, you can be antisocial, you can be cruel and harmful and self-destructive, depending on how you apply it. But what do you think about the idea that uh, not only is racism and sexism moderately judiciously used, not the opposite of morality, but it really provides for a normal person the foundation for morality by encouraging him to attach to a particular people, a particular community, and to recognize the the different gifts that uh, different groups have.
7: Well, I agree with a large part of it. And maybe it goes back to what I was saying at the beginning of the extremist uh, Judeo belief that uh, taking birth is a bad thing. It's a punishment for the soul to enter the body in the extent. Well, yeah, it's natural, but the tendency of the body is bad. And uh, and you should break these things. And, uh, you know, that's the point of birth is this uh, struggle and war to go against these natural tendencies. And that's the definition of a righteous person that wins the battle against these natural inclinations. So, you know, you're trying to come up with some more like naturalistic, uh, you know, maybe Aristotelian view that it's better to be in harmony with these natural principles as opposed to, uh you like a Muslim extremist Judeo value that you should be waging war against these naturalistic, uh, tendencies.
0: And how effective did you find it to wage war on these natural tendencies?
7: Um, on a personal level, like I would say largely successful over decades of character refinement of you being born again, becoming a new person. However, um, it isolated me to you know basically like following a rules based order system that no one else follows and the only thing to like pat myself on the back is that like maybe i'm going to go to heaven although i think um you know, like it was like self efficacy i've i've developed extreme levels of self control of uh you know maybe like purposeful living of uh actualization of free will um your various concepts so like you like i'm glad i did it uh, but you know, from the human perspective, like you know, like like uh, um, I mean, it says in Tanya or, or uh, you know, the Talmud that uh, you know, like I killed myself through uh, through you know, the original Hasidus of, of uh, self-immolation of uh, of destroying who I am in order uh, that I would be able to properly you know serve God, and that you know, the question, well, what did that get me? And well, maybe it's not supposed to get me anything.
0: Uh, would you go to psychotherapy in an attempt to become, say, more happy or more effective or have higher self-esteem?
7: No, because I, I mean, I've mean i ingrained myself with these Judeo-ideas that, um, and, and it always irritates me. I mean, even when you say it, it's like happiness is for the weak. Happiness is for the sinners. Uh, you're not supposed to be happy. You're supposed to serve God. And, uh, and you know, you know, like God forbid. So generally I look at that it's just a bad character trait. Like people want to be happy. And you know, say, well, and I, mean, I could argue it philosophically or theologically. Uh, and, and you're saying that's why I found so- you know, I wasn't a happy person. So I found solace in extreme creatism or casitism that I mean, there was some value on happiness, but generally, you know, just looked at like, you know, like that's what's wrong with the world. Everyone wants to be happy. Like you have to break yourself, you have to go against your natural urges, even if it makes you like, a, um, and you maybe i mean to some extent, in order to become a jew i 'm sure you had to uh, you know, go through quite a bit of that, but uh, you I guess you found some sort of solace within Judaism that doesn't take that uh, your know, level of like self immolation
0: right, so what was provided the greatest meaning and purpose and joy and happiness and concrete moral direction in my life have been the friends i've made along the way. Uh, even more than the the texts that I've studied and the the rituals that I've performed, but if I can ask one more question I
7: about mean, value on happiness that that you that you didn't see like you know within the Judaism like you know say so like like you know it's telling, like you're trying to say Michael like you okay you want to become a Jew it's not about you know because it makes you happy it's it's going to be hard work you're going to have to do what they say and you're going to have to put aside your own personal happiness and you know I'm not sure you know, I, I would assume to some extent you had to have felt like that or at least part of your journey as opposed to you seem to be accepting this kind of like value that it means something like, like, uh, I mean, like your personal happiness or, or it's even saying, well, you obviously didn't take Judaism that seriously if you're so concerned about your personal happiness.
0: Well, you can find plenty of, of texts in, in Judaism praising the, the state of joy. I mean, there's just as much you can make just as much of a case for, for joy in Judaism as you can for the, you know, dour approach that you uh, advocate. So it's not like there's just one dour approach to, to Judaism. You are articulating you know one perspective within Orthodox Judaism, but you, you'll find uh, many texts, you know, celebrating a joyous expression of Judaism that one should serve God with joy. Yeah. Than... I'm not
7: arguing with that. I'm just saying that, you know, from the schools I was part of or found solace in, you just the type way you're speaking was like indicative of just like these like, uh, unenlightened people that are still concerned with their self-happiness.
0: Yes, and I, I am not attracted to the type of uh, Judaism that you articulate, but you know I recognize that it works for for many people. Now, I have I consciously I don't think I've ever made my happiness my one number one concern, but. I I do want to feel a sense of integrity. So I I do want to feel like the various parts of my life are are working together and moving me in a positive direction uh, that increase my connections with the people most valuable to me. And then a byproduct of that pursuit of integrity is happiness. But I don't believe I consciously choose happiness. I, I consciously choose to live a life of integrity. So my various choices through the day add up to something that moves me in a direction that uh that provides a blessing to me and also to the people that I interact with so I, I want a sense of integrity a sense of of wholeness a sense that uh things are moving in a good direction overall and that's that's the way I try to arrange my life now I, I,
7: mean, I would it, agree with that it, in, in largely and we might just be playing word games but you're just on the Jewish aspect like we say in krishmah you know, uh, morning and night, uh, don't follow our eyes, don't follow our heart. And so I put happiness is like, well, happiness means following your heart. And so integrity means not following your heart. And you know, like, in order for me to become karate, I had to break my heart. I had to, you know, do the meditation and say, well, why does my heart want to do this and go against my heart in this kind of like pejorative, what Well, happiness means just someone who follows their heart. And like Judaism's a religion that we say twice a day, don't follow your heart.
0: And yeah, there, there's plenty in Judaism that's quite at ease with recognizing the heart's natural inclinations and trying to channel them in a good direction. So Judaism's at ease with uh, the human desire for, for sex, for, for love, for fame, for, for riches, just wants to channel these directions in a you know, godly or pro-social direction. Is that fair?
7: Well, I mean, because there's schools of judaism you mean so the first page of the tanya says you know you're like no i mean king david destroyed his inner self you know through fasting and so you're you're like there is no one school of you know there's different schools of judaism that have different opinions on it but uh you know i I guess for a decade i was part of the extremist school that says like no you have to destroy your inner self you don't embrace your inner self It, it deserves to be destroyed and, uh, but yeah, but obviously like anyone who studied Talmud or knows the history of Judaism, there uh, you know, there's always various schools and you end up becoming part of a, a different school on that. But I would say no matter what school you're from, obviously there's serve God and happiness. Like, so the goal is to become happy, submitted to God's will so that it's not like, okay, I used to be happy when I was serving myself and I destroyed myself and I learned to be happy as a slave like king david I, you know like i'm a happy slave to god and uh you know you could have the other school that will have more you don't have to uh you completely destroy yourself and you could uh you have some sort of dual service to yourself and to god and uh you know true happiness but i would say even on the like the flip side you want to say you're the you're the base hill and i'm the base shammai in this one that even on your school you have to recognize that like Like, no, you you can't serve yourself. You have to serve God, and you can only serve yourself within the larger boundary of serving God.
0: Well, it wouldn't make sense to have, you know, no component of serving yourself in the God made you. And so by by serving yourself to, as long as it's in harmony with God's directions, you you are developing what God gave to you rather than trashing it.
7: Well, that's the theology, so to say, of your side, like the base Hillo side, you know, the base Shammai side, like, no, God, God put us in a testing situation, and we were made to destroy ourselves, that, you know, whatever you were, you know, like, you know, man was born an animal, and, uh, you know, then at 13, you get the, you get the Yetzir Tov, and the goal is to wage war against the Yetzirah and complete victory, and uh, the, who we are as an individual is more indicative of the Yetzirah than the Yetzir Tov, but, I mean, so, uh i mean the talmud clearly says like i mean i, I remember this one even you know the gamoran Aravin, i think like 13b because i've said it so many times uh base hill and base shammai argued for two and a half years whether it was better for man to for god to have created man and after two and a half years base hillo admitted to base shammai that it would have been better had god not created man so in that perspective um you know like uh even base hillo recognizes that the true nature of man is uh, somewhat bad and it's, uh, you know, unfathomable why even God created us.
0: So to uh, risk going back to the topic of uh, self-esteem, do you think it's primarily genetics that accounts for your low level of self-esteem or do you think it's because of events that happened to you? Or do you think it's primarily the result of choices you've made?
7: Um, I mean, it's probably a combination of, of all. Like, you know, I was probably, you know, my parents probably – I mean, God forbid, I don't, you know, openly discussed it, but, you know, like I was the third child and my parents probably, you know, the like whether they should have, re- you know, really had me, um, you know, cause they were both working and didn't really have that much time to uh, take care of me. And my parents were workaholics. So, uh, uh, you, you know, I was kind of, to some extent, left to fend on my own. I grew up after the demographic change had already happened. So even, you know, by the time I was in third grade, whites were a minority, and I was, you know, constantly bullied, and uh, you know, physical violence and fighting, uh, you from a young age was uh, pretty normally. Like I never had a regular, so to say, happy childhood. I never really had a basis of community or friends, and so I mean, I, I could give, you know, say that okay, that uh, it, it was negative childhood experiences. That uh, and then you know, my parents for a period, uh, you, you know, they were in law school when I was born and financially struggled to take care of us, at least for, I mean, now, thank God they're, you you're doing quite well, but at least when I was a young child, I was, you know, I was a burden on my parents who were, uh, you know, just getting started in their careers or finishing law school. Uh, you know, so I'm mean, just as like a narrative identity, I, I could, uh, you know, like if I was speaking to a therapist, uh, you know, just through self-analysis, see like, yeah, like I, I'm a product of, uh, you know, certain things that happened to me. I wasn't, you know, from a warm loving family. Uh you know, my parents were workaholics who uh and uh you know, I, I was post diversity and never really had that many friends and faced uh you know bullying and, and various things and didn't really find community till post uh, adolescence. So uh you know it's very likely that those adolescence experiences you know, how could you have self esteem when when you don't have any friends and no one likes you? So at least in my childhood uh you know period to say that uh you know, that experience of not having a friend and no one liking me uh, negated my possibility of having self-esteem. And even as an adult where I found success, you know, that like memory of uh, the formative years of uh, no one liking me, uh, you know, negated me from developing healthy self-esteem. So I I could accept that, Um, you know, maybe, you know, like I could see a therapist and like, no, you could develop self-esteem, you know, like even even though I'm, uh, you know, God forbid, you know, I'm 45 years old now, like now I'm going to develop healthy self-esteem um, and, and, you know, especially that I already you know, went to Jerusalem and did all these various things that was kind of a uh, counter to that. So, uh, but you know, that's why I accept narrative identity and, and say, I don't really know who I am and you could have different narratives that may or may not be true. And uh, a lot of these things are just uh semantic uh, you know, because you know, maybe at some level, I have, uh, you know, I'm a narcissist, and I have I have uh, too much self esteem.
0: And have you talked to God about this, and or, or rabbis? And did you get any answer back from God or from rabbis?
7: Well, yeah, that, that you know how kind of how I came that I was chosen for bigger things. You know, one that I somewhat recognized the truth of Judaism. I chose to become Haredi out of my own free will and volition. I was willing to, you know, at least for a period of time, to give up my family and friends and uh, everything that I'd known to uh, you know, move to Israel and then uh, to New York and uh, you know, take upon a Hasidic identity. Uh, so I still talk to God about it. it. And so that's why I say like, okay, I actually have uh, enormous amounts of unhealthy self-esteem that I think I was chosen from God to do something great. And uh, you part of the reason was you possibly my uh negative aspect of my early childhood Mm. And so if if i if i lost my faith in god so like i you know god's still my best friend i talk to god constantly god's why i work so hard because i still think i was chosen uh you know possibly to do something great uh even though i don't really have any other positive self you know feedback mechanisms you may be some you know youtube viewers or something but um you know it's basically just my relationship with god that feeds my self-esteem to thinking i was uh, you know chosen for something great And the narrative my of my life story uh, at least vindicates that uh you too where you know god's like my only friend god's the only person i talk to
0: and what would you say was the happiest year of your life
7: um I've never had like a happy year. You know, saying I, I was depressive from a child and because like for most of my childhood, like I didn't really have any friends. I, I was uh bullied and unliked and even you know, my parents were workaholics who probably, you know, like struggled to uh at least the formative years that uh you know, maybe it was a mistake having me, God forbid. Uh that that was enough that even when things were going well, um I had this level of self-sabotage, like it's not real. These people really don't like me or, uh, you know, I'm not going to give up all the work that I did just to become part of some community. So even when I started having success, even when I was integrated into the Hasidic community and I could have maybe just became like a Hasid and got married and built up a a family in in Israel, I had this level like self-sabotage, like, no, I want the truth. I'm not just going to normalize. And then when I started making money day trading, I also had like a little, like self-sabotage, like, no, I don't want to just be like another modern Orthodox Jew in the five towns trading stocks. Uh, I, like, I want the truth. So I would say like, I've never had uh happy years in my life.
0: But what about happy moments? Do you have any happy activities or happy moments these days?
7: No, no, I mean, I, I don't, I remember as a kid, I saw the movie patent and, uh, it, it, uh, resonated with me my whole life where he was talking when you know the caesar uh george c scott in the movie is Patton, but but he said the you know in, in ancient rome when caesar would come back and uh uh you're right on his charity there there would be a guy that would uh keep on saying into his ear all glory is fleeting i don't know if, I don't know if you saw Patton, or remember that yeah. quote yes um, so i've always had that like and the, you know obviously that came on to judaism and like i've always you prayed. And, uh, so I, I always had that, like all glory is bleeding. This isn't real. It doesn't really mean anything. Um, so I've I've never been able to lose myself in the moment. Um, I know Freud mentions like, uh, you know, eventually he comes up with like, he calls, I think he called the flow or oceanic state. And he says he's seen it in other people, but he's never had it himself. Uh, you know, like the ability to just lose yourself in the moment. So I would say like that, I've never had the ability uh, you know, like Freud, like I've, I've observed the oceanic state in other people, but I've never been able to experience the ability to lose myself in the moment.
0: And how attractive would a, a cult be to you if it say it offered you a spouse who you found attractive?
7: I'm like a prime cult type uh, person. So even if it didn't offer me like a spouse, I would be like, like looking for cults, but, uh, like, yeah, I I like cults. I, I like the idea of, uh, you know, I defended cults in Church of Entropy. That was like part of our friendship was our, you know, both kind of uh, defense of cults in general. Um, you know, certainly like if I were able to, uh, you know, find a wife and, um, you know, build up a family, it would, it would almost definitely have to be within a cult framework. Uh, although I use the word cult loosely. And uh, I mean, we've discussed that. I, you know, like if you, I mean, when I was specific people, like I was in bubble of, a lot of people in Bubov used to joke about themselves. Like it was a cult and, you know, I was under a Munis Rabbi Wolfson, who, uh, you know, they called the Moonies and, and, uh, you know, so it was like a self joke that even people were part of it would joke. Like we're part of a cult. So I'm, mean, I don't know if you'd consider Hasidic groups, cult, some people do, and you could even consider Orthodox Judaism or, or even any form of Judaism cultish. So, uh, but like generally I like, got, yeah, I'm pro cult like that. I think it's a good thing. And, uh, um you know obviously there's dangers of it in in the megalomania or um you know even goes back to the brooks article like the cult of america or something the constitutional cult or you know christianity was originally called the cult of jesus christ uh but uh you know so you could loosen the term to you know like uh, america's a cult like that also
0: and how how tempting would it be to develop a, a cult of your own imagine that you develop hundreds of followers who donated money to you and wanted to meet with you regularly and hear you talk to them and counsel them. How attractive would that be for you?
7: Yeah, I'm an introvert. It wouldn't be like, uh, I mean, people in the, your chat, like uh, the cult of Duvid started on Luke Ford. You know, people used to call himself a uh, branch Duvidians, you know, even like Ricardo. Um, but like, no, I'm not a people's person. I'm more, um, and I don't like dealing with other people's problems. Um, you know, generally like I, I don't even like like people ask me for, for advice like you, you know like usually i i would just kind of like you know read these books or work harder uh like i don't want to get involved in your in your personal uh details and even like a rabbi um you know like a like a synagogue rabbi a pulpit rabbi versus a, a scholar uh but like i mean i think i was part of a lot of cults and even like uh you know hinduism like i was part of the hari krishnas um, you could even consider like the, the chess club, you know, somewhat like cultish in some ways. I mean, I, I wouldn't use it in a pejorative, but, but, uh, um, you know, so I think I've always been valuable to cults. Cults have a lot of times sought me out and sought my membership. Uh, you, know, especially like, uh, when I first became Orthodox, like you know, a lot of Hasidic uh, groups recruited me. And, uh, even here in Metro Detroit, like, you know, Hindu groups, interfaith, cultish type styles that uh i think it's kind of like what it could go back to the rules-based order uh you know like i used to tell church of entropy like i i'm good at, i'm good at understanding and following rules so you know to like okay here's your cult here's your rules can i follow them or can i not and uh you know can i uh and even like when we first started speaking about anti-semitism and uh you know my grandparents uh the original American attitudes, like people do not like you, you make yourself useful. So because I had that childhood experience of, you know, not really having friends, not being liked, um, you know, that's was always my strategy, make yourself useful. And I think that that is probably most useful in cults, you know, saying like we were talking with Elliot uh, back a few months ago about entourages, where it's like you could call it like an entourage a cult and saying, like, I've secured my position in this cult by making myself useful and being able to follow the rules-based order.
0: And w- when were you in the Hare Krishnas and to what extent were you in the Hare Krishnas? Um, well,
7: when I was at University of Michigan in, in like, they wanted to set up a chapter at University of Michigan. And, and I was, for a period, I was like, their only non-Indian body uh Person willing to help them, so I never joined their cult because I knew I wouldn't be able to follow that level of the rules. And at a certain point, um, you know, once they successfully like, I, I actually recruited, like I, I was somewhat their recruiter because uh, you, you know they 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 wanted just a base in University of Michigan, and uh, and so you know, like I, I followed their teachings, I read their books, I read their literature, I understood their philosophy, I helped make their events, so there'd be like chanting, I helped explain their philosophy. Two other people, but at a certain point um, they recruited enough people that officially joined that they kind of, uh, um, you know, stopped inviting me. And then once I graduated, so, uh, but uh, I mean, so I was recruited specifically because they wanted to set up a base at university of Michigan. And I successfully completed that task for them in helping them, uh, you know, even here in Metro Detroit and uh, in West Bloomfield, but at a certain point, you're like i i did i just didn't join and uh and so you know i could be considered like a friend of the movement or you know someone who was useful uh that but uh you know at the end of the day you have to join
0: now i've noticed that i've become much less attractive to courts as i've aged have you noticed something similar
7: yeah yeah I mean, I mean like at this point it would basically be money or like connections i mean like when when uh you know, like I serve like the total sovereign Mitzkak Rebbe and, and like, he just turned 80 years old. Eric Adams met him in the hospital. You know, like he should uh, live and be well, he, he, like he might have to go on dialysis or kidney problems. But, uh, you know, when he first came to America, like I, I did things like I, I was a driver and like, uh, you know, we, they raised money and I I used to go like the five towns and uh, um, you met like wealthy people. And, so when you're young, they want you to join the cult. Like you, maybe you could be a member. And like I said, like if I had stayed in Israel, I probably could have became Hasidic, uh, you know, and got married and been just like an average cult member in America. It was, uh, almost completely what I did for them. And then like, you know, in of, I wasn't a member. They knew I wasn't, you know, may, maybe they thought I'd become a member or like a friend, uh, you know, like I said, like I would marry someone else like myself, but it was almost completely based off of what I did for them. And, uh, generally that was something that couldn't be done by one of their own members like university of Michigan. If they had one of their own members who was a student at university of Michigan and could have done for them, what I helped them do, they probably wouldn't have asked me. And so also like, you know, I did building permits. I, I did driving, I did a whole bunch of things. And at a certain point um, they would prefer one of their own members to do something, except something that they don't want. Like we discussed like the half Jew type thing and like, you know, being a driver or certain dealings with non Jews that specifically they didn't want one of their own members. So they used me, uh, because they didn't want their own members doing what they had me doing. Um, but like, yeah, as you get older, you have to deliver something big. You either need like government connections, building permits, uh, or large sums of money. So like, if you're almost 60 years old, like you got to give like six figures, like not even like five figures, like you got to be given six figures, or you gotta like you gotta have like an inside connection at the mayor's office. It's got to be something big.
0: Okay, let's uh, welcome Claire Kaur to this stream, Claire. If you'll unmute, uh, Claire, what has been going on with you? It's been a few months since I spoke to you last.
8: Um, hi, thank you for inviting me. Um, I'm mostly on Twitter Spaces now. Um you, you know I've been deplatformed on my main channel, but my, my um secondary and tertiary YouTube channels are still there. Um so I intermittent, intermittently stream there. And um Tom Sunik is talking to me um tomorrow from Zagreb, so I'm um very pleased about that. So, yes, I've managed to keep myself busy, though I, I guess a lot of people will not notice such a presence now that um, I don't really stream that often on YouTube. But,
0: um, and you've, you've published a book on Amazon, correct?
8: <laughs> Fancy forgetting that. Yes, I have. Thanks for reminding me. <laughs>
7: um, they is still trying to make her own cult. Like God forbid the only person <laughs> these days trying to recruit me to to a cult is Claire.
8: I, it's not a cult. People keep calling it a cult. It's it's a new moral and legal political system that I'm trying to sell directly to the ruling classes in the hope that some of them might have a, a better side to appeal to and some um, survival instincts that don't seem to be there. Um, I, I really don't think they know what they're doing because it's what they're doing is not good even for them, um, which is... You know been my position all along you know you can't hope to survive doing what you're doing um and and really free speech protects protects the ruling classes because um you you want to know if people are not happy with the way you're you know with the way you govern the country and um you want to know and you would want to, to correct yourself if, if people hate you so um but, but they're not listening nobody is really uh, what's so the name of your book research. It's called Secular Quranism. Thank you for thank you for <laughs> reminding me again, and it's on um, Amazon um, for a song. Really, when you think about um, the years that I I've taken to write it, all right, I wrote it in a few months, but basically. Um, what has helped is, is really people disagreeing with me. So I want to give credit to all the people who've hated secular Quranism, pretended not to, to know what I mean, um, and made me say things again and again until i kind of ho- honed it and distilled it to to something um, hammer-like in its um, repetitive monogamy, but, but um, memorable for that, I like to think.
0: And uh, you've been doing some Twitter spaces, I believe, with... Uh... Curious Gazelle, anything yes, you want to yes, talk about? That?
8: Yes, um, she's a very talented Pakistani lady who is, um, um, she says she's lost her faith. But um, I try to, I'm trying to get her to believe because I'm. I'm saying, look, I'm just behaving as if I believe so. Um, you, you should believe, too. But I, I know she has a problem with talking to Muslims and I know she hangs out with non-Muslims. And I, I can kind of see that um, it might be a problem if you don't want to say, oh, Muhammad, ooh, you know, the Arabis, Arabisms that they have to do. And and it, she does kind of resent me for um well, she thinks I'm getting away with heresy and blasphemy that she couldn't get away with and um, she would only be admitted in those circles if she wore a hijab and called everybody sheikh, but um and, and she thinks I've been given a special pass because I'm not Muslim. Um and, and, and I mean, she says things like, Oh, but they're so mean to the Ahmadis, but but they're nice to you because you're you know, why why are they so nice to you? And I, I suppose, you know, Muslims hope that I will um convert um eventually. And um, I, I have to maintain my identity because I have to represent um, all these skeptics in the West who who don't quite see the point of a theocracy. But I think um, maybe David will agree with me that, that even Israelis are, are increasingly discussing the T word.
7: Theocracy. theocracy. Yes. Uh, so if you want to bring this back to the cult issue, because, you know, kind of like I was talking with Luke, like when I, you know, when I joined, so to say these Hasidic cults, it vindicated me because I was saying it wasn't something that was wrong with me. It was something that was wrong with the world. And then it's us up against the world. So, you know, some level, you know, especially for cults that have lasted so long, um, you know, religious cults, hereditary cults that have some sort of explanation for why you could have a multi-generational sustainable system of us up against the world. But like generally you're hoping that the world is going to come into compliance with the way you see it. So, you know, most cults, like you know, are, are interested in talking to elites and rulers and changing their mind or winning people over. But at the same time, if you just get a few people, then those few people retract from the world and accept this mentality that it's up us against the world. And that's why someone like Duvid was a prime candidate to join cults because you know, I, one I had a high Q and was able to doing useful things, but then you know, psychologically, I was psychologically weak and that I would accept, like, oh, it wasn't me that was messed up. It was the world that was messed up. And now that I found this cult and we agree about all the problems with the world and uh and, and now I've finally been accepted. And I don't know yeah. if Claire can pitch herself like that where where you know she's not arguing for mainstream Islam. Which, you know sort of like a cult or so in her dreams, she thinks that she's gonna win over the elites. But if she actually had a few followers, then it might become cultish where, where, where you know, it's like, no, the problem is with the world and you've been saved, you know, we're just our small group that's, uh, you know, that we're going to wage war against the whole world together.
8: Well, well no, I, I, I'm, I'm not interested in being a cult because it's not a belief system. It's a legal system, which is a methodology, a the. Le- you know, it, it's a list of rules it's a different list of rules to what we have now and and for me to you know make myself into some kind of cult leader would would actually undermine the basis of what I'm trying to do, which is to present to the ruling classes a better system that would make their lives easier if if only they would listen, but I know they don't listen and um I well, the think reason
7: mostly... why you'd be a cult leader is because you i mean in the pejorative your, your set of rules is incoherent. So anyone that's part of it would, you know, like no one could really be part of it because your set of rules is incoherent. How is it argue that? I was saying from the cult perspective is that it would be your authority that would make it the cult because like it wouldn't really be a rules-based order. It would just be part of, uh, you know, clarism and uh, you know, following some incoherent set of rules that is based on your cult of personality. And, and that's mm-hmm. what some people argue of, that Judaism as a whole or Islam as a whole is a cult because it's an incoherent set of rules that is based on cultish personalities
8: well i i'm not starting a cult of personality i have very few followers very few people actually understand what i'm trying to do um either because they deliberately uh, pretend not to understand or or because they hate the idea so much that they they they, they just find it easier to misrepresent it i in what way is it incoherent, Duvid? I think people understand it. Is Sharia for social conservative non-Muslims in the West who, who kind of need something to keep them socially conservative, i.e. respect the institutions of marriage and family? Well, how, is that in, how is that incoherent?
7: Well, I mean, you have to see, like, if it was a system like Hasidic Judaism or something, well, obviously, it's been surviving. There's, you know, hundreds of thousands of people that have families or Christianity. And we go back to this point of so biblical people like Jews or Christians will fluctuate between, like, you know, one day everyone will, you know, follow these rules and will convince enough people to an extreme belief system that, like, no, what I believe is that there's going to be a great war and almost all of humanity is going to be killed off. And you just me and my cult and the people that follow the rules are going to survive. And so the extremist Jewish or Christianity uh, fluctuates back between this, like, you know, we're going to convince everybody and everyone's going to follow the system to a more extreme belief that, uh, you know, God forbid uh, humanity will be destroyed and we're going to be the only ones who are going to be saved. And that's why an integral part of a cult is this us up against the world mentality.
3: Well, well,
8: particular Quranism is intended to uh, avoid the this um, global conflagration. So, if if I regard myself, if I model myself on anyone at all, I suppose it would be um, Karl Marx and his you know big idea of communism. But it would, I would be the Karl Marx of theocrats.
0: Uh Let me jump in here, uh, Claire. Did you have a chance to read that David Brooks essay, "How America Got Mean"? If you did, any thoughts on it?
8: Uh, yes I well I I read as far as I could um, before the paywall came up and um, I would suggest that the reason why people are getting so mean is because of atheism Um, nihilism is a product of atheism and nihilism means people who who don't Sorry, nihilism is a product of atheism and atheism is a product of not having religious principles. And if you don't have religious principles, it means you don't have moral principles. And if you don't have moral principles, anything goes. So um, atheism basically means, you know, you'll get if you get if you think you can get away with murder, robbery, rape, etc., you'll do it. And, and once upon a time, it was a terrible thing to be accused of atheism, because this was what, in effect, your accuser was accusing you of—that you would um, do all these terrible things if you could get, if you thought you could get away with it. And now, virtually everyone is, is an atheist or a nihilist,
0: and that's and- how we got so mean. And would you? So you think there is a definite trajectory in that uh, we're becoming meaner in the West, and? You also agree with David's other point that we're becoming lonelier. Yes, because we
8: can't bear to bear another person's company. that That's why, you know, pets are so popular because, I mean, if, okay, if pets could talk, they wouldn't be popular at all because they would be criticizing their masters and mistresses. But um, um, because they can't talk, um, they, they, they are given a free pass, I suppose. And, and, and pet owners are prepared to be the toilet attendants of their dogs picking up their, their poop in the park you know while while, while everyone looks on um but but that's because people need attention they want to be loved um but preferably by a mute cuddly furry warm thing but but really we, we we need people to you know tell us off
0: uh claire do you have any thoughts on why so many young women are dressing up like anime characters you have any idea why that is becoming a thing
1: um
8: I, I think it must be a kind of infantilization um in the same way that i, I see the popular uh, the popularity of um Hollywood movies featuring um, Marvel superheroes it, it's a retreat into fantasy um, to I guess that they would be American gods um, some of you might be pleased to know that things are not much better in in China they're, they're having you know the, this um, demographic time bomb the young no longer want to breed um, because of you know the, the problems of atheism and nihilism nihilism and and communism. Well, it's not really communism in China. It's it's really a form of capitalism that that the Chinese prefer to, to, you know, masquerade as still being somehow socialist socialism. So so really, they are both capitalism and communism are both uh, different sides of the same um, materialist coin and the, the you know material uh, materialistic ideologies do not take into account the spiritual needs of either communists or capitalists and that is why there is this terrible void and when we uh, feel this terrible void we we seek power and we can only feel power if we're mean to people. I mean, that that's the whole point of being mean to people. You're asserting authority and hierarchy and status over them by, you know, getting away with um, um, doing mean things. And, and that's how people get by these days.
0: And what's the basis for your self-esteem, Claire?
8: Um, I suppose I have a sense of purpose. Um, um, I mean, I... I do enjoy what I do. Probably because I feel I'm, I, I' I win all the arguments, even if nobody ever concedes that I have won the arguments and and when when people um, lie about me and, and deliberately misunderstand my ideas i I think um, the system of rules I have is um, actually a lot of fun in that um, it allows you to make um, uh, to win all these arguments and and uh, I will mention curious gazelle again um, um she she, she is a bit of a troll herself and and she he likes you to take in a Quran and some to upset people and um and this I find quite heartening
7: <laughs> just you say it's funny you delude yourself into thinking people like you when they don't and maybe I'm the opposite I delude myself into thinking people don't really like me uh, you know when when you you know a few occasions maybe people do actually like me
8: well, people half like and half not like
7: you, um,
8: because you, you are this powerful personality. I certainly don't think lots of people like me. I think lots of people hate me. But when I do find people I get along with, um, um, that that's, um, you know, very precious to me. But I know um, that I have more haters than, than supporters.
0: Uh, Claire, mm-hmm. is, is self-esteem something that you think about? Is it something that you value? Is it something that you want to build?
8: um I don't think I have self-esteem issues because I think if I did I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing because I mean it is very wearing and people you know do try to say the meanest things to you know in the hope of upsetting you and shutting you up and um I I think I most probably don't have self-esteem issues um to continue what I'm doing um I, I think chief of the, the, the chief reason I managed to um, keep myself going, I suppose, is is because I um, try to anticipate what, what, what the meanest people will say. And if I already anticipated that, you know, a mean person would say these things, um, it becomes less hurtful. I mean, it's only a shock when, you know, you never thought about it and somebody said it to upset you.
0: So but on a um, scale of scale of 1 to 10, Claire, with 10 being the meanest, how mean would you rate yourself
8: it depends on um who i'm being mean to I, I i think i am known for for being um mean to well people i think who are, are hypocritical and and that means um christians and and, and also i feel that they need, really need to be exposed because well okay for for, 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 for reasons of, of strategy um, Westerners, Westerners need to be believe that Christianity is coupled in order to um, be more receptive to secular Quranism so, so you know one part of it is strategic and the other part is that it's not good for them if God actually exists because if Christianity is idolatry and blasphemy as I say then um, God would be plenty mad with them and he's uh, been quite patient with them so far but obviously there are are a curse because things are getting worse, and there is there doesn't seem to be you know any escape from them. But but I'm 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 not saying that Christians are the only people to be cursed. It was actually a, a, a Salafist Muslim who said Muslims are cursed because you know we were so wonderful and powerful, and look at us now um, always whinging about um, western imperialism and as for jews they've been cursed a long time and and there's actually um a very long list of curses in in um the book of deuteronomy chapter 28 um so so i think um jews have been cursed too and um and 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 the um curse will take the form of world war three um and and even if it doesn't happen there will be um terrible economic dislocation when um the dollar loses its um uh um, world currency status, which is imminent.
0: Uh Duvid, on a scale of one to ten, how mean would you understand yourself?
7: Um, well, I try very hard not to be mean. I would say when I was younger, pretty mean, like nine. Now I I probably like two or three. Like I, I could still have natural tendency to you'd be mean or, or, you know, even just thinking Claire, like, you know, cause she doesn't use the, the violent terminology. Uh, but uh, yeah, if I haven't found, if I hadn't found Judaism and, uh, you know, broke myself, I might've been dangerous and violent. And, and now I think I'm generally a pretty good guy. Uh, you know, sometimes my heart still tells me to do bad things, but, uh, you know, I almost never follow through and generally, um, you know, will help people or, or be nice and, uh, because I I trained myself that way.
0: Uh, Claire, do you think that you're less mean than five or 10 years ago or the same level of mean?
8: I don't know I'm just mean to certain people and I I suppose if words were weapons um um, sometimes I get to you know a kind of rage level of 9.9 you know so um it's it's hard to say and and obviously for certain people I I I want to be kind to them because you know they don't understand or, or you know they could be potentially helpful um so you know when I think about what what I say to Christians, yes, I am trying to undermine the whole basis of their of their belief system because well they need to know because it's it's actually dangerous to continue thinking that Christianity is still working. In my mind, it's equivalent of of watching somebody jump out of a plane with carrying a parachute you you know won't open. So. Um, i, I guess my, Can you my can warnings. you give
0: an example of going to a nine point nine out of ten in in rage? Can you think of an example where that's happened to you?
8: When I'm rude about about the Trinity, I suppose, and, and and I imagine that oh, these Christians would you know would would be so okay. I mean, what I'm saying to Christians is is basically you you believe in lies for 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 nearly seventeen hundred years. You know sorry but that's it was just made up and um you've got to give it up instead of doubling down and you know using your hatred against jews and muslims as, as some sort of justification for your continuing uh, professed belief in christianity
7: i wouldn't put claire past like an eight maybe a nine and like she even occasionally messaged me on facebook just to like bash me it's like, yeah, you know, why don't you just admit you're an idol worshiper? Every single thing about you is a failure, you know, like, like, um, and so like, you just like randomly, I'll get like messages from Claire telling me how horrible I am. But like, even that, like, I don't think Claire gets past like a nine and even like, because you, know, you have to have some, you know, what does it mean? If you're a 9.9, uh, you know, like, you know, like, you know, God forbid like YouTube terms of services, like encouraging. But if you're just going to say like, you're a complete failure, or, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're a hypocrite. Everything about you is a lie. Um, yeah, I mean, Claire could be pretty regular. And then, like, you know, I'll, I'll pop, wake up in the morning and see, like, a message on Facebook from Claire. And it's like, you know, why don't you admit that you're a complete fraud and a lie? Uh, yes, Claire, yes a lot. The, the, last session
3: was,
8: the, the last session was quite recent. Um, I'll admit that, David. Um You were talking to Jim Bowden and um and and he was he was kind of appealing to you um Duvid, you know to agree with him and 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 you were accusing him of being degenerate and 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 really it was so pathetic he was, he was you know saying isn't this terrible is it and and why can't you do something about it and he was kind of appealing to you as a sort of higher status Jew and in him not really knowing what to do and you, you you called him a degenerate and and yes this this wasn't private it was public on twitter you know under your tweet of your latest week in review I mean,
7: that was he kept on wanting me to you know uh, complain about like the trans or lgbt stuff and i called him a degenerate because like it's like i mean even though he's complaining about it called like the fox news degeneracy because like he's the one bringing it up and, and it's like mm-hmm. even though he's bringing it up to complain about it he's still bringing it up but if you put like okay like you're so pathetic that might be like seven to eight uh like you're a degenerate um you know maybe like eight level uh versus like you're a complete failure you're a fraud everything about you's a lie that's like a nine level and like 10 level is like inducement to like you know god forbid like you know like self-harm suicide something like that and so, so I would never generally, say that. generally fluctuates between like seven and nine like you know like the oh you're that's pathetic to like this level like you know just like you're a lie you're a fraud everything about you's wrong um
0: Claire, why would yeah. you say something like everything about you is uh, wrong?
8: I don't say that exactly. I, I I say why don't you why don't you just say what your religious beliefs or your professed religious beliefs require you to say? You know. And and I, I think the, the problem is that um this this Abrahamic God has a system that, that actually would solve all the problems if only people who claim to believe in, in their God would do. You know, it's like if, if um um Jews and Muslims um actually said, oh um we, we have to follow the Quran or the Torah, then they wouldn't be putting up with any of it. They wouldn't. But but they all keep quiet and they just pray a bit harder and, and they think you know that is going to save them from all the um mess that is in politics. Well as for Christians, I mean you, you can't even talk to them it doesn't even compute what i'm trying to say so um so, because i mean christians don't even no, but
7: you, know, you make it personal you're not just you're not just hypothetically critiquing christianity or even like a person's affiliation like you often make it personal to say like you not to say like your judaism or your understanding you say like you are the, the liar you are the fraud And, you know, I mean, so now if you're backing down a little bit and just saying, well, you're part of a fraudulent system, you're part of what's wrong with society, that you will often take it to the personal level where, uh, but I mean, since Luke, you asked, where do you fall on the scale?
0: Oh, um, I would say probably uh, six out of 10. That's my self-estimation.
7: You're more likely just to cut off at the point like those. I mean Claire engages in negative relations for a long time. That could get her to like the high levels. That was where you're likely to just cut off a relationship before it would get to that point.
0: Oh yeah, I, I can't imagine. Go ahead, Claire.
7: But, I mean, so is that have that has that been successful for most of your life? I mean, were you a nasty kid when you didn't have that possibility and you would have reached like the nine ten level or and that, that's why you chose the cutoff strategy? Or are there occasions where you can't cut off a person and then you do reach the 9 or 10 level?
0: I guess I'm embarrassed when I've hit the 9 or 10 level. And so because I've been online so much as a, as a blogger since, let me think, 1997, so that's 26 years. So that's had a self-disciplinary effect because it, it'd be a nightmare for for, for for you know that to go public. Or when I lose control, it's just... I look like such an idiot so I, I think I've been disciplined by being somewhat in the public eye for some of those years and having to exercise due care but uh Claire, you wanted to say something
8: I I, I wanted to say that that you know if you're online you you have the hide of a rhinoceros anyway so so I think um I mean, you know, the three of us, we've said, you know, what what exactly what we thought of each other and we're still still talking. And, And I think, you know, that's wonderful because, you know, on the one, it's sort of kind of like being part of a family because you know the family members say say terrible things to each other and they know they'll you know they'll have to see each other again at the next wedding funeral whatever and and, and they will talk to each other again and and um, I think this is a great thing about online relationships and and I think it's also therapeutic you know if, if, you know you know people saying the worst thing about you and are you being able to take it and and I think it, it, it's actually helped my, my offline relationships in in that I um have been able to um deal with my mother you know much better because I mean she she, she you know, wind me up something chronic and and um since um getting online um I've been able to tolerate her, her insults and her accusations so much better than before.
0: Uh, David, you've got an excerpt from the David Brooks essay you wanted to
7: read. Yeah, and then maybe this part kind of sums up what we were talking about and why I would call like the failure of Jewish conservatism, or it's somewhat like a misnomer that you can't really be a Jewish Republican or conservative, because it's predicated on this, but uh, it was from towards the end of the essay. A couple of obvious things need to be said about the ethos of moral formation that dominated America life for so long. It prevailed alongside all sorts of hierarchies that we now rightly find abhorrent. Whites superior to blacks, men to women, Christians to Jews, straight people to gay people, and the emphasis on morality didn't produce perfect people. Moral formation doesn't succeed in making people angels. It tries to make them better than they otherwise might be. Furthermore, we would Never want to go back to the training methods that prevailed for so long, rooted in so many thou shalt nots and so much shaming, and riddled with so much racism and sexism. Yet a wise accounting should acknowledge that emphasizing moral formation meant focusing on an important question what is life for? and teaching people how to bear up under inevitable difficulties. A culture invested in shaping character helped more people resilient by giving them ideas to cling to when times got. Hard in some ways, the old approach to moral formation was at least theoretically egalitarian. If your status in the community was um, based on bad character and reputation, then a farmer could earn dignity as readily as a banker. The ethos came down hard on self-centeredness and narcissistic display. It offered practical guidance on how to be a good neighbor a good friend. And then he goes on, then it mostly went away after World War II. And I would just call this proto-Noahidism, where it's just kind of like, well, Judaism was special and then uh, you know, we, we spread the Judaism to the world through like Christianity and, uh, and you know, it's kind of this Jewish Republican ideal of America that it was, you know, the set of rules, uh, not the founding stock that made America special. And once we just spread that uh, to all people, everything will be um, okay, which I, I think me and you both... Um, think is flawed. Although I think multiculturalism is inevitable. And, you know, this question of hierarchy here, where where you can't, you know, like, uh, you know, Christians to Jews, blacks to whites, straight to say, you know, I think me and you both agree hierarchy is uh, necessary. So like diversity causes hierarchy. And you know, like is somewhat, I don't even know, like idealistic, you know, can't we all just get along uh, conservatism?
8: He's yeah, I mean, is,
7: is
8: crucial, isn't it, in, in deciding, uh, well, how to conduct ourselves, you know? There. I mean, I mean, God has to be above man, you know, in order for man to obey God's laws. In theory, anyway, you have to accept the theory first, that God, if he exists, would be above man.
7: You know, I'd say one last thing. The small town where my father's family comes from in Missouri, like, a, a a half a year ago made national news because their school district uh you know maybe has ten thousand people reinstituted spanking in schools, and that uh you know was covered okay. by a few national uh outlets but you know, like his his kind of like uh you know make America great you know like that that this was progress so Brooks is saying like we can 't get rid of this progress, and people don't want to go back to that and so yeah, I thought it was interesting that uh you know, like the the small town my father came from, Missouri, went back to spanking in schools.
8: Well, I'm I'm delighted to hear it. Um, but but Brooks is a moderate conservative, isn't he? I, I I'm just um, I've been reading his. I'm spying. a Jew, That's
7: why I say like because he has a proto-Noahidism, and the misnomer is like I you know like most Democrats like you it, it's counter it goes against the it's kind of the Ronnie Goldman you know like the elephant in the room where where like no I man all these mainstream conservative thinkers now are Jews in the new Republican Party where the leading Republican intellectuals are are Jews where historically like it was a it was a contradiction in terms you couldn't be a Jewish Republican and by definition in order to be a Republican as a Jew the requirement was converting to Christianity so now we're in this post-Christian Republican Party and so you have Jews at the top trying to uh, you know lead us forward in some sort of new system And it seems to largely, uh, you know, be failing. I I don't know if Luke Ford has, you know, you're kind of have been at the defense line of Jewish Republicanism in the past, or maybe you've also pushed back the other way, saying like, well, it's a contradiction term. You really can't be a Jewish Republican, a Jewish conservative.
0: Well, I think as conservatism functions right now, and the Republican Party functions right now, yeah, you can be a Jewish conservative and Jewish Republican. Maybe a different time and place, it'd be much more. Difficult, but uh, Jews comprise the, much of the elite of both the Republican Party and the Democratic Party. And very few Americans have you know, problems that uh, Jews are full citizens of the United States of America. I mean, this is not the, the Jewish I mean, question, you, is not something most people think that, about.
7: I would just say that you can't, being a Republican requires you to be white and Christian. And so so they say Jews still in red areas like Eric, uh, I forget the the Jewish man, uh, even most of the Jews in the Republican Party have formally converted to Christianity in the sense. So in the blue areas where you have Republicans like Ben Shapiro, but still in most of red America, they don't want a Jewish leadership in the Republican Party. And the requirement is converting to Christianity. And I do think, I mean, that's like America first. Like if you straw man, Nicholas Fuentes, and, and there might be some level where it's not, you know, he does believe some of those things, but, the, you know, the certain level is that just going back to olden days. Like, first, you have to, the first thing is first, you have to convert to Christianity to be a Republican.
0: Uh, I'd say that'd be true of probably less than 10% of Republicans today, or maybe even less than 5%. I don't think that, uh, that Nick Fuentes' perspective is widespread. I absolutely think that a Jew could gain the Republican nomination.
7: But, I mean, even here in Michigan, so the, no, it's not the case. Like, Michigan... Um, you Because know, most of territorial red state Michigan, um, I don't think that would be the case. Like a Jew would have to convert to Christianity in the majority of the Republican districts in Michigan. The only places where you could have a Jewish Republican would be in an urban center. But you know, most, it's probably the same for America, most of America, that uh, the majority of you know, rural red America still would have this understanding that uh, there's no such thing as a Jewish Republican.
8: Well, people, well, okay, Christians, if they even exist, don't take their religion seriously anymore. You were talking about these Jews who had to convert to Christianity to, to lead the Republican Party. Um, there was a time when, well, Benjamin just, just really had to convert to Anglicanism to become British Prime Minister. And now, in Britain, there is a Hindu Prime Minister, and well, nobody even Trump. thought to make him convert.
7: Just look at Trump. Trump's main Jews all convert to Christianity if it was a uh... The guy from CNBC, uh, his Treasury advisor, um, but but I'm saying all of the major Jews in Trump's uh, cabinet were converts to Christianity. You could argue how serious their conversion was, but factually, even Trump, almost all the Jews he appointed to high senior positions, converted to Christianity.
0: Uh, Claire, hmm. England, uh, the United Kingdom, right now has. Uh, I, I didn't know that Rishi Sunak was uh, Hindu, but I knew he was. His ancestry was Indian. Uh, is there much turbulence about his Indian ancestry or his Hinduism?
8: Well, if there's been any complaints, it was sort of weak. I mean, obviously, I I, I associate with in, with circles who would complain about that sort of thing. Um, but but I mean, talking about Indians, there's Vivek Ramaswamy, um, who at least knows to call himself a a, mon, a Hindu monotheist. But um, um, you know, he he seems to be. Um, Making waves in, in the Republican nomination,
0: right? I, I absolutely believe that a Hindu could be President of the United States. That that, that uh, his Hinduism is not going to disqualify Vivek Ramaswamy. You'll hurt him with some voters, but overall, I don't think it'll be a big deal. I, I believe it's possible that a Jew could be Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. Would you agree with that, Blair?
8: Um, I. I- I think so because, I mean, the the, the British do no longer take Christianity seriously. Because if they were taking it seriously, they would have insisted that that um, Rishi Sunak have converted to to um, Anglicanism, but they didn't because they don't believe in it anymore. You, I mean, you talk to any Anglican you meet, and and, and they they mock their own religion, you know, with, within um, you know hours of talking to you. So so that's how seriously they take their
7: religion well maybe and, in the uh, uk but, i mean the statistics are, yeah, like america is extremely christian still like 70 80 you could argue bernie sanders although they didn't use the terminology but why people preferred biden over sanders was his christianity and uh, even the projections of the decline in christianity like you're looking at like christianity being less than 50 percent uh belief and it's still like projected like 20 years out and uh you know the, the the UK is already uh, you know my, minority people who are serious about their Christianity. I think in the developed world, America is uh, the most Christian of all the nations.
0: Yeah, but it's well, very it? shallow. It's very shallow Christianity. It's mainly a social club in America, and I'd say
7: enough, enough of an identity that it would preclude membership to Jews without conversion or Vivek. You know, see, does Ramaswamy get? Over fifteen percent, twenty percent in the polling, and although people might not say it, uh, you know, some people will say it, but just the, you know, the numbers will will, will uh, demonstrate that they will not get behind them. And uh, you know, that, what, what does that membership mean? If if it means that it means they're going to exclude people who uh, aren't Christian?
0: No, I don't believe it does. I mean, Donald Trump is obviously an atheist, and uh, he still commands the overwhelming support of evangelical Christians.
7: He's not obviously native. I mean, that's the argument that you know, Jewish Republicans like you give. But no, I mean, Donald Trump is unquestionably a Christian. Goes to church, talks about the Bible, has no qualms in calling himself a Christian. So you can say, "Oh, that's not what's on his heart." But that, you're just supplicating your thoughts about what's on his heart when uh, you're from a factual level, uh, he's a Christian.
0: Well, he claims to be a Christian, but uh, there's—I mean, there's there's a type of life that goes along with claiming to be a Christian that Donald Trump clearly does not demonstrate.
7: He's, he's uh, yeah, very public. For Christianity, Which is saying that no, I mean, most Americans like, uh, you know, Clinton are go- going back. I mean, but now you as a Jew are pretending to be the gatekeeper for Christianity. But uh, even if it is hypocritical and not true to say, whatever Trump's Christian identity means, 60, 70% of Americans have, uh you know some form of christian identity and it probably is pretty important to them that level that that uh you, you know at least he identifies as a christian
0: well christians d- don't seem to have any problem in america of uh, giving equal rights to, to non-christians and i don't think they most of them would, would particularly be dismayed by the prospect of a, a non-christian uh, president uh claire did you want to add anything here
8: um, I, I think that, that's because they don't really believe in it themselves. So so that's why they're so, you know, free and easy with giving equal status to, to other people. But if they did, if you, you know, if you were Catholic and you you had this extra long mass that you attended and you were driven by Catholic guilt, you, you you wouldn't like it if the Pope said, oh, you know, everybody has a reasonable chance of getting to heaven because it means that, you know, all your observance and all your Catholic guilt was, was wasted because... Anybody can just walk in to heaven. So it uh, it depends on how seriously you take it, I
7: guess. Yeah, it goes back to what we were talking about Judaism at the beginning and like, you know, like uh, the Israelite movements. And so I negate and say like, well, you're not really Jewish. Like Luke, like no offense. Like you just think you're Jewish. Like I don't really consider you Jewish. I don't consider most people Jewish. And okay, that's your identity. You still hold that as your identity. There's still a large group. And you know, for Christians, that's still their identity. And there's going to be an in-group preference and it's kind of the pushing like you like Luke as the, you know, you kind of like you're edging in there as a Jew to destroy Christianity where even if you're right on some technical level, that's why I say like, well, 90% of the Jews in America aren't really Jews. Like, like Claire would say and Luke would push back and be like, no, they're still actually Jews where, you know, Claire's like, no, you have to register and knock them off the registry of Jews. Um, But I would say that Christianity is still the most single important identity of the majority of Americans, regardless of the truth of that identity. But most American, you know, go on uh, look in the mirror and see a Christian. And I would say Donald Trump, even at that level, um, you, he probably looks in the mirror and sees a Christian.
0: Uh, Claire, let me, we've kind of gone around in circles there. I think we covered that topic. We gave our perspective on what's going on. Let me ask you a different question Uh, In his essay, David Brooks looks at uh, America's past and sees it marred by racism and sexism, and he views racism and sexism as the antithesis of morality. Claire, in my perspective, a modest, moderate, judicious use of racism and sexism, which I understand to mean preferring your family to other families, preferring your people to other people, feeling most comfortable with your own group compared to strangers— and sexism, I mean in the sense that you understand that men and women have different gifts, that they have different things that they can bestow to their, their children or to society at large. Uh, I see that judicious, modest, and moderate use of what's called racism and sexism not only is not the antithesis of morality, but as the basis for morality, that you begin by connecting and bonding with your family, then your extended family, then your community, and then your people, your nation as a whole. And to me, that is the sane uh, basis for morality. Any thoughts, Claire?
8: Um, I, I would absolutely absolutely agree with you because I think politics is is really working out where our not loyalties lie. And a lot of people get it wrong and they end up being hated. Um, hopefully your group has the right religion that will most protect you from your internal and external enemies as for sexism i would define sexism as things said or done that would offend feminists and 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 obviously feminists would be offended if you told them that uh, perhaps the sexes are not quite equal and they instinctively think in different ways because um I I would say um, buyers of sex and sellers of sex would think in a slightly different way to each other. And I see women as um, being providers of sex, which is what men want. And women often use sex to... um, control men and and men have to think of ways around that to um, regulate their desire for women such as inventing marriage and how and, and and the rules of maintaining this practice which which has gone by the wayside after um, so many years of uh, well about half a century of feminism and sexual liberation and, and that I think has really upset the balance and 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 stopped um, people from even actually I'm going to say it has um, led to a post-truth society because the, uh, the post-truth society is a society that doesn't really care about whether it's something is true or logical. You know, they, they, you know they, 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 Their sacred word is, ooh, my lived experience, which is basically anecdotal evidence that you're not allowed to challenge for fear of um, challenging the person offering his anecd- or her anecdotal evidence. So I think the discourse has been totally corrupted. It is intellectually corrupt. And and that is why you see these manifestations of dementia from our ruling classes who are not doing what it is necessary even for them to survive.
0: And let me read uh, this one sentence summary of the David Brooks essay. In a culture devoid of moral education, generations are growing up in a morally inarticulate, self-referential world. And uh, Claire... I don't think I can overstate the dramatic nature of switching from a self-referential world to the traditional alternative, which is a communal referential world. So in the traditional understanding of the self, we understood the self as part of a family, extended family, a a tribe, a, a community, a faith community. We were part of a distinct people, and we understood ourselves in relation to something outside ourselves, the modern notion is that morality and meaning is something that we can just develop between our own ears, that it's something that uh, we can develop entirely on our own. So switching from a self referential world where morality and meaning is something that we decide for ourselves to an other referential or communal referential world would just be a dramatic sea change in in our modern world. It would be in essence, a repudiation of modernity and a return to a traditional, even medieval perspective on life. Any thoughts, Claire?
8: Um, I think we should certainly go back to a rules-based Um, system because that's the only way for us to solve our problems otherwise we will be competing with each other to say oh I feel this this offends more strongly than you felt and and there is no objective way of measuring it And, and therefore we have to refer to some kind of objective morality and that would be the law and the law would have to be based on a moral system and well we have to we have to choose our moral system. And and I'm saying for Americans it can't be Christianity because that would be um actually un-American because of the the trouble the founding fathers took in separating the church from the state. And and uh, part of my thesis on secular Quranism is, is that um the, the founding fathers were, were proto Muslim. They might not have expressed Muslim ideas consciously or or, or um, proudly, but but really um Jefferson owned a the Quran. Uh, he bought it in 1765 when he was 22 years old. He certainly used it um, to to negotiate with the Barbary pirates. And um, and and I think uh, Americans should <laughs> should at least recognise that there was no religious freedom when Jews took their religion seriously, because you know blasphemy and idolatry were were capital offences. And of course, Christians were not exactly. Um, um, backward in burning heretics at the stake when they took their religion seriously. It is only the Koran that, that even mentions this, you know, the, this idea of, of um, allowing people um, religious freedom, even though they're wrong.
0: Now, I want to develop on something that uh, Duvid wrote in the chat. He says that when, when Luke looks in the mirror, he sees a Jew. And when Donald Trump looks in the mirror, he sees a Christian and I would contend in, in consonance with the worldview I just articulated that whether or not you see yourself in the mirror as a Jew or a Christian much matters much less than whether the community around you, the people around you, the people most important to you, see you in, in a certain light. If you think you're Jewish, but no one important in your life sees you as Jewish, n- you're going to have a virtually impossible time maintaining the illusion that you're Jewish, that we get cues about who we are, what matters, what's important, what's right and wrong from the people around us, from our family, extended family community, from our people. And so that's why I believe that uh, we're not primarily, we should not primarily seek to be self-referential. We should seek to be communally referential. Any thoughts, Claire?
8: Um- this brings me to um who who our associates are. So for, for most people online, people will think of, of Duvid as Jewish and, and, and they acknowledge his Jewishness. Well perhaps, you know, Jews in real life might might not acknowledge his Jewishness so much. Um but, but I mean online Duvid is the uh, alt right rabbi, he, he's been described in those terms. And um, and for you, because you, you spend so much of your life online, um, you're, you're, you're acknowledged to be Jewish. Um, for me, it's, it's a bit of a mixed bag. Um, Muslims sort of kind of want me to be Muslim, and, and there are people who assume I'm Muslim, but I'm not, but I'm conscious of, of um, the imperative that I. Um, Maintain my agnostic um, identity in order to um, be more effective in propagating secular Quranism.
0: Okay, yeah, David, you wanted to make some comments.
7: Um, yeah, maybe I'll try to close it off unless you want to say something right after. But yeah, uh, um, you know, I, I don't think I talked to, to talk with you about it, but I know you covered the river riverfront uh, brawl, and I was on a panel last week uh, talking, you know, like defense politics, Asia, with people from all over the world, from Africa. And we're talking about uh, what was the revolution in Niger and, uh, you know, saying the riverfront brawl was significant in American history because all the whites got arrested. None of the blacks got arrested. And, uh, you know, like I watch sometimes democracy now or the liberal media, and that was like progress. You look look at how America's progressed, you know, something happened and, you know, end of the day, all the whites involved got arrested. None of the blacks involved got arrested. And I was thinking Oliver Anthony. My impression was like, uh, you know, like the Nick Fuentes critique and I saw something in Countercurrents. Uh, it's kind of like an apologetics that he's apologizing for white America. Like it's over. It's the new world. Uh, you know, I hate that this is the new world, but it is. And, you know, it's diversity and things suck, but like it is what it is. Uh, you know, don't fight back. And he's like the repentant, uh travis mcmichael you know saying that uh, oliver anthony looks like travis mcmichael who fought back and now he's going to spend the rest of his life in prison as opposed to oliver anthony who has accepted the new world uh because he can't uh win and uh you know, from the brooks article that's like the, the hope of the rules-based order you have like oh, the african-americans are going to buy in because they're in charge now And, you know, it used to be if there was a problem, all the blacks would be arrested, even if they're not at fault and all the whites would get away. Uh, But now all the blacks got away and all the whites got arrested. And it's not based on like a rules order and rules order is somewhat like a misnomer because rules tend to favor one group over the other. Like, whether theoretically there could be like objective rules that if we all just followed those, it'd be good for everybody is unlikely because rules favor one group over the other. And that's why I said like the cultural wars are zero sum. It's going to hurt some people and benefit others there's going to be winners and losers and you know god forbid that's why i think uh i was actually arguing this defense politics asia that i think america could fall apart any day now like trump being arrested like the balkanization we've talked about in the past that uh there's multiple scenarios that i could see uh america falling apart any day now um mostly related to trump's indictment but uh, that, that people are ready for it and I'm skeptical like i believe in god fear god just trying my best but i don't see any path forward really for some sort of a collective system rules-based order that's going to compass everything um but you know i'm still following it still trying my best
0: okay great and um thanks David. uh thanks for stopping by okay. I'll just well, thanks for having me on carry on with Hi, uh, claire uh claire In this essay, David Brooks tries to make the case for moral education. How effective do you think moral education is uh, compared to the moral education that comes naturally when you're bonded to other people, such as your family, extended family, and community?
8: Well, people only relied on the family before the the welfare state, because now now they know that if they don't like it, they can move out. And, you know, the, the council will, will provide them with accommodation if they're a single mother. Um, that has rather broken up the family. Um, and um, it's affected by economics, obviously. Um, and, and I, I think um, Jewish emancipation has um, created this um, tendency to assimilate because Jews have the option of assimilating. When, when previously Gentiles would be um, very hostile towards them. So but on, on the question of moral education, what does it actually mean? I think it can only mean the um, awareness of what your religious principles are. And you, you can only know what they are when, when you choose your religion. And, and so far America is a country without an official religion. And I think that has been the source of its problems for, um, well, quite a long
0: time so you see religion as the only sustainable basis for morality
8: well yes because if you don't have a religion you you keep having this culture these culture wars and, and these are very divisive and destructive you'll have the you know conservatives and liberals and they they they'll keep disagreeing i'm not saying that that you know once you have a theocracy, everything, there will be no disagreements or, so, you know, people will find ways to disagree with each other about, you know, the interpretation of certain verses or, you know, whatever, there will still be, you know, legal um, matters that people will disagree on. But but I, I think if you actually choose a um, moral system, you will have um, less scope for, for these um, divisive and destructive culture wars.
0: Okay, uh, Claire, I'm going to start to wrap up the stream today. Do you have any final words?
8: I, I wanted to ask you a question about Andrew Tate. Do you have any views about him?
0: Uh, I find him repulsive. But do, do
8: you not think he's more more of a politician than little Nick Fuentes? Because he, just because he's, a, he's appeared on Tucker Carlson and had a two-and-a-half-hour interview and Tucker clearly respects and likes him.
0: I, I just am so repulsed by him that I haven't gone beyond that very surface level reaction. So uh, there, there are people who think about him more deeply than I do. I just I, I just don't find enough incentive to try to think about him more deeply beyond just my level of repulsion. But I, I'm sure there are hidden depths to Andrew Tate. I'm sure there are, there are good things about him in addition to the repulsive things. What do you think about Andrew Tate?
8: Um, I, I think he he seems to be, um, <clears throat> consciously or unconsciously, he's got the support of quite a few uh, Muslim tweeters, and um, um, I guess you know he's going to get a bit more support than Nick Fuentes. That does Nick Fuentes still apply, still identify as as Catholic?
0: Yeah, I believe so. But I mean, to me, it's just a transparent. It's a transparent pose. It's just much more socially acceptable to say, look, I'm a trad Catholic, but there's absolutely nothing about Nick Fuentes that seems to indicate any level of, of sacrifice for his religion. It just seems to be a convenient pose.
8: Yeah, a flag of convenience. Yes. And, and I thought his, um, Tate's brother, um, he's an Orthodox Christian i suppose to to marry some orthodox christian in in romania so it seems to me that the Tate brothers have kind of got you know social conservatism um um in the bag um just because you know um, each brother is one of each um, um you know if they want to you know gather in social conservatism um they seem to have done it i mean I, does he have a long term- you know political strategy I don't know did you did you listen to all two and a half hours of his? oh interview? God
0: no, I just find him so repulsive so so crude so moronic that uh i i can't yeah I can't spend any time listening to him, but how about you? What's your reaction to Andrew Tate?
8: I actually listened to it twice and um I I'm really impressed at how how well he um deals with difficult questions I, I suppose he didn't even you, you didn't listen to him um uh, being interrogated by Piers Morgan but I thought thought he stood no. up very well um so I mean he's not stupid that is the thing and he's he's um well he, I suppose I I admire him because he I can imagine myself saying the things um, that he says, i mean you know if if I were minded to to make a case for for islam and um he 's been doing that, and I think he's he's got quite a few um muslim supporters um, called this one called um ahmed Sulaiman ahmed who who seems to be a bit of a um polymath in that he 's a lawyer he 's a uh, psychologist, i think, and also a mathematician who tweets um in support of him. What about Samira Khan? Have you heard of her? No. She's quite active on Twitter. Well well, well she, she does this Muslim MAGA thing. Um and and um, I mean I mean she was quite funny in, in, in that she was saying uh, um you know I advise Americans to um Californians to leave America and I advise Americans to leave America and, and um and then she said she would she, she might um go to um Russia to hunt for a husband. She's 30 yeah, I, too, I but-
0: I don't take uh, any Muslim... Intel- I, I'm confessing here. I'm not saying that what I'm about to say is intellectually strong. I'm not saying that my perspective is a good one. I'm not encouraging anyone else to take it, but I've I've said this to you before, and I'll just say it again. I, there's, I can't think of any Islamic society that I would like America to become more like or that I would admire. Therefore, because I don't see in practicality, any application of Islam that I admire on a national or communal basis, therefore I just don't bother with uh, Islamic intellectuals.
8: Fair enough, fair enough. Um, I, 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 I'm just saying there doesn't appear to be any choice if if um, it can't be Christianity because um, um you know, Christians going to a different church, as I notice, you know, a lot of these, these um, white nationalist types do. You know, they go from Lutheran to, to Catholic and it's not, you know, conservative enough. And then they go to Orthodox Christianity because it's the Christianity of Putin um, because they admire him. Um, doesn't seem to um, to be making political waves. But um,
3: How um, are you
0: not repulsed by Andrew Tate? I just find him so crude and just re- repulsive i i'm just curious you're a woman so i would think that you'd have more delicate sensibilities uh, how do you get over the the disgust factor
8: well if- the same for trump i mean a lot of people find trump disgusting and 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 uh, uh, you know i i'm the sort of you have to work with what's available school of thought you know we 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 don't have this perfect candidate who 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 everybody loves but i mean he he's the you know the one that i can think of that anybody can think of who's um making some kind of pushback and, and and the fact that um they want to jail him and, and and throw the book at him and write books to throw at him suggests that he he is um, a kind of um ruch- Roosh the second maybe because um um you know they they, they but Bruce and 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 Tate started off as um, pick-up artists didn't they and, yes. and and then you know because of their charisma you know the women liking them and whatever they they thought they could lead a movement and 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 um I, I guess um you know, was you know shown um that it, you know the well, the government was going to allow it, and um, and 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 the government, or, or the deep state, or the CIA, or whatever you want to call it, um, has has done the same to date by um, accusing him of all kinds of things and throwing the book at him. Um, so so there seems to be a pattern here, um, and and I, I think they're targeting him because he he seems sort of you know masculine enough to. Um, attract um, supporters and, and support muslim you know but particularly muslim supporters who are um, maybe less of a pushover than um nick fuentes's catholic supporters
0: and so with the, with the nick fuentes again i find a, a world view and an ideology that's just so shallow that uh, for all his his charm and his antics and his entertainment ability it, it would it's just too low iq for me to you know engage with deeply, what's your reaction to Nick Fuentes?
8: yeah, I saw him you know shyly saying the n word on on fresh and fit and and of course it it's just unthinkable that Tucker would give him the you know the the, the the light of day but but back to tucker again when when um Tate was was talking to him um he he actually you know had had this railway line like oh I would never kill myself with the, and he said it several times. I think at least three times in in, in that two and a half hour interview, suggesting that that um, they, they might even kill him and make it look like suicide. And that's why he kept saying, "I would never commit suicide." And the, the latest Tucker Tuck, Tuck interview with Trump um, had Trump saying um, words to that effect, that that they might um, think of assassinating him. But he he was still going to go through with it with it, and he you know he's still fighting on even with this threat of death over him and. And that I think, can only galvanize support for for, for for men like that, in my view
0: now I find Tucker amusing, and I find Tucker entertaining, uh, but just so much of what he says I find to be just nonsensical uh completely uh, departing from reality how do you How do you react to tucker Carlson?
8: um i I like Tucker just because he's so eloquent, and you you can see that he's he's um, talking extemporaneously. He, you know, he's not reading from a speech. It, you know, it all comes off um, the top of his head. So, so I think the the reactions he get are, are, are genuine. And um and and what he said about the Episcopalian Church, I, I mean, that was quite telling too. Um, you know, who are these people? What do they believe in? He didn't know, but he was still gonna, um, you know, stick with the the episcopalian church and I, I think that's a subject that that needs to be returned to um you know about American history um about um why the founding fathers had this revolution rejecting Chris- Christianity in effect because Christianity was a religion that supported the divine right of kings and and of course you know the the, the, the whole idea of the Repo- of the Re- the American Revolution was to reject the idea of kingship.
0: Well, Christianity is just so flexible that you can you can try to you can find effectively support for almost any politics within Christianity. Is that fair? I, th- I think it's
8: it's too flexible, and people have made up too much stuff about it. Um, you know, I mean, I mean, Mormonism is it's nothing to do with the Abrahamic God. I mean, it's a you know white American indigenous religion of America, um, and and it promoted. Um, Polygamy, and, and I suppose that that was one of the reasons why they were persecuted right across America until they they couldn't go any further when they got to uh, Utah. But but I mean, obviously, monogamous Christians were not going to allow these Mormons to be polygamous and outbreed them and outnumber them eventually. Um, but but uh, I think the study of American forms of christianity is interesting i mean and also the point is that it hasn't particularly protected americans because i mean yes like americans can have all these forms of christianity but it, it didn't really work for them um seventh day Adventism is 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 um an american creation isn't it
0: yes yes very much
8: yes so, so you know, maybe in, in in the case of Christianity, diversity is not strength, and 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 I think we can agree that um, well, the Catholic Church, when it was unrivaled, um, had the most power in the world. But you know, eventually, people, um, well, the the monarchs of Europe eventually rebelled. Um, you know, because the whole point of this the wars of the Reformation was because well, these. Formerly barbarian monarchs of, of um, Europe, um, after a few generations of studying Greek and Latin and whatever, had a few ideas of their own and they didn't want to be told by the Pope in Rome what to do and how to run their kingdoms. And, and that, that was really um, what's, what kickstarted the wars of the Reformation.
3: Uh,
0: Allow me, um, me to just jump in here and be self, self-referential for a minute. Uh, Do you believe that I am an atheist or do you believe that I believe in God? I think you're in two minds. You would like,
8: um, I, I think a lot of people are in two minds. And, and um the, the reason why i hold on to agnosticism is, is because we don't really know and and, and you know what i'm saying is we, we should act as, as if we believe as a thought experiment and maybe things will um go better for us because people will back down if they know you mean business and if god exists he will he just might protect you but but if you if, if you as a somebody claiming to believe in god um in effect, only act like an atheist, then, um, then then probably you do not deserve divine protection if if your behavior is really no different to to that of any any atheist or nihilist who 's you know really mean
0: well I, I don't see any empirical difference in the moral quality of the behavior of atheists and the moral quality of the behavior of the ostensibly religious in the world around me. I mean in California anyway, the the lives that I see. Do you see a significant difference in the moral quality?
8: Well, I think a lot of people, Jews, Christians, Muslims, claim to believe in God because they at least acknowledge the power of religious groups, because religious religious groups are the most powerful um and biggest groups available. I mean, you know, in humanity. So so they want to um use the The group protection that that this provides and and they may you know inwardly be atheists um but but, you know they see it as living you know becoming a clergyman becoming a rabbi they don't really believe but it's fun to you know show their scholarship and win arguments and maybe that's enough for them but they're not going to go out of their way and say hey christian we think your religion is offensive to god as well as reason um but but this is what i'm what i'm saying um because well i think somebody ought to say it i mean because i really do believe that that's a problem you don't have a religion that's why white people of all people have been well the christianity has not protected white people is is basically what i'm trying to say it, it, it's been fading for 500 years and they refuse to accept it because they hate Jews and they hate Muslims and they can't think of any other way of it existing. And they've also tried all kinds of secular political ideologies like liberalism and communism and fascism and Nazism. And, you know, they've tried all the wrong ways. So um, why not try the, the right way?
0: Once so you run out of options. If I really were an atheist and I only propounded belief in God and religion for practical and pragmatic reasons, would you think less of me?
8: um this has been what I've been saying to
0: about you to
8: to other people and um so yeah that that has been my thesis about you um so but but you're you're not the only one. I mean, I know lots of people who who, who claim to believe in God, and, and you know they they do all the religious things. Um, but but, but their behaviour is no different to to you know their, their voting behaviour, their political um speech, you know, beliefs are are no different because they submit to the the um to the current political orthodoxy, which is liberalism. I believe. I mean, you know, does it even have a name now because it's changed so many times.
0: Now I'm I mean is black
8: Lives matter even liberalism? who knows
0: I'm looking at uh, Twitter and uh, Curious gazelle is uh, tweeting a few days ago. I defended you three times as a true believer Luke was this with regard to belief in God? she's talking about participating in one of your Twitter spaces.
8: Yes, I was complaining about somebody and I said this person didn't believe and 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 and, and I meant to you. And, and she 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 uh, um, came to your defense saying, oh, but you are observant, you, you know, you do all the, the, the you, you observe the um, rites and whatever, um, the Sabbath and everything. And, and I said, that plenty of Muslims and Jews do, do that. They, you know, Christians go to church on Sundays, but it doesn't affect their uh, political discourse. You know, they're, they're always, you know, seeding the, the argument to to what they think is the um prevailing political orthodoxy and and that suggests to me um that they don't really believe because because if if you really did believe then you would you know you would assume that good will be rewarded evil punished in this life or the next and and you know, the the next life business is is really um what what, what I think people just can't Um, go beyond and 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 i think you know people's behavior move back to nihilism because nihilism is is basically um saying well i'm number one my needs are most important and therefore i will do whatever is necessary for survival and and i have no principles and i i don't see how principles help me because i don't believe in god or the the afterlife so so, so, so that is the kind of mindset that that people fall into, and and you you, you can tell if you know you, you see all these you know uh, Christians who are liberals and they they conform to the prevailing political orthodoxy, you know, like they've never heard of you know the Ten Commandments or the Noite laws or or whatever it is that the Quran forbids.
0: Okay, any other topics that you want to hit before we wrap up for today? Um,
8: um, I, I think uh, um, you, you've, you've covered all the subjects. I, I, I'm kind of out of ideas. I, I mean, thank you so much for reminding me to, to mention my book. Um, thank you for all your questions that are so um, deep and um, so thought-provoking. And thank okay, you thanks.
4: For
0: thanks, Claire. Good to catch up with you. I'll talk to you another time. Thank you. Okay, I want to play a little bit of a video here on emotional sobriety developing
9: in us the ability to have an authentic love. And with an authentic love, it means that there's room for two people in a relationship, not just room for you and your rules and your ideas about how things have to be. But authentic love is big, it's roomy. It respects you and me. That's what it's based on. He talks about this being a transformation because we have tapped into a consciousness, a way of being in the world that none of us
3: knew about. We were all ignorant when we walked in these doors. And that's not to put us down. It's just a description of how we start this journey.
9: Now, as we go through, as we we did our inventory and stuff, we started to realize how emotionally dependent we were. And this, this chapter does a great job of Bill being able to discuss what that means and how it's damaged our relationship
0: all right, this is psychologist Alan Berger talking about the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous.
9: And we'll continue to do that unless we clean up these things. But he says that when you start to work with other people, a miracle starts to happen. He says, we, to watch the eyes of men and women open with wonder as they move from darkness into light, to see their lives quickly filled with a new purpose and meaning, to see whole families reassembled, To see the alcoholic's outcast receive back into his community in full citizenship. And above all, to watch those people awaken to the presence of a new consciousness in their life. That's a gift that we get when we start working with others. And that's why service is such an important part of the recovery journey. Now, I want to talk to you about Viktor Frankl's observation. Because Viktor Frankl was the author of Man's Search for Meaning. And this is what he said. And this is really at the basis of what Bill was capturing when he talked about working with others. Dr. Frankel says, true meaning of life is to be discovered in the world rather than within man or his own psyche. I'll say that again. The true meaning of life is to be discovered in the world rather than within man or his own psyche. He says, I have termed this constitutive characteristic, the self transcendence of human existence. We will call it the the self-transcendence of the it's all about me syndrome. (laughs) We go beyond that and we start to see others. He goes, but the effect of this is, the value of this, and it points to the fact that being human always points and is directed to something or someone other than oneself. The more one forgets himself by giving himself to a cause to to serve or love another person, the more human he is and the more he actualizes himself.
0: Right, if you're at work and you get lost in your tasks, if you get lost in being of service to your employer, like you are happier, people around you are happier, uh, time you know, flies by more quickly, right? You optimize your work experience if you can transcend yourself and get lost in the cause of being of service.
9: One of my favorite authors, is James Hillman and he wrote a wonderful book that said we've had a hundred years of psychotherapy and the world keeps getting worse <laughs> I'll say that title again you don't have to read the book to get the essence of the book we've had 100 years of psychotherapy and the world keeps getting worse because what does psychotherapy do it takes people into themselves it takes people into looking at themselves it focuses on self only recently have we seen a whole new revolution in psychotherapy being called relationally based psychotherapy which is really paying attention to our connections with others. But up to this point, it's been all about us. And we go into therapy talking about ourselves, and we go into therapy looking at ourselves and focusing on ourselves. We've had a hundred years of psychotherapy, and the world keeps getting worse. Well, here's the antidote, right, that Bill saw, right? Is helping other people, right? Now, the last part of that step is this, you know, practicing these principles in all our affairs and i started to pound this drum the last couple times that i've made comments on the other people's discussion is integration is at the heart of transformation you can't have a transformation in your life unless you have integrated the experiences you've had integration creates, creates transformation integration changes our consciousness as we absorb more as we change our as we learn more as we develop more our consciousness changes as a result of integration. We start to expand our consciousness. That's what this step is about. It's an expansion of our consciousness like never before. And we didn't have to go do ayahuasca or ketamine treatment to do to get there. We have to pay a price. We have to do some very hard work with the steps. Ayahuasca is easier. You just go show up for a weekend and do it. It's to work working the steps is takes some effort. Join Herb's workshop. You'll understand very much what that means by the end of that year. In terms of the amount of work it takes to really thoroughly work and practice these steps in our life but that is what creates this transformation is we're integrating these principles to the best of our ability but with an understanding of that at this point in my life i will be able or let me say this at a future date in my life i will be able to integrate these things differently than i'm integrating them now bill said that very clearly that more will be revealed Rumi had this one poem that went, how is it with one rose that you can get a whole rose garden? Well, that's what the 12 steps do. One rose gives you a rose garden. It creates an incredible experience in our lives. The richness of of it, the depth of it, the possibilities that it opens up in our life. We could have
3: never imagined at the beginning of our journey when we walked in these doors, broken, bankrupt emotionally, spiritually.
9: So it's a remarkable journey. Now, how does this relate to the emotional sobriety and self-esteem? Well, look, we're finally now paying attention to what Brandon called the pillar of self-esteem is that it's operating with our integrity. Practicing these principles in all our affairs means that we're living with integrity. We're paying attention to ourselves and our values and what's important to us, and we're not overriding them. And when we do, we realize that we pay a heavy price and we gotta get back there and clean it up as quickly as we can. And if we don't, we relapse. That's what we know happens. That's what sends a lot of people back out. They start playing those games and compromising their integrity, and before they know it, they're back in the bottle or they're back using their builds again or whatever it is. Integrity.
0: Right, so if you're an addict, all right, losing your integrity in all likelihood means you're going to lose your sobriety. So if you steal money, start cheating people, you're usually on the path to losing sobriety, losing control of your life.
9: It is not optional anymore for us. It's very important in the program.
0: Right. When you're trying to recover, to lie is to die,
3: to cheat is to die, to steal is to die. And it's a pillar of our self-esteem. You know,
9: we can talk about and go through all the other pillars. We've raised our consciousness, right? You know, we've learned to be more appropriately assertive. We act for ourselves without impinging on the rights of others. We learn to act for ourselves without being selfish, and we learn to act for others without being selfless. We've created that balance that that Declan was talking about earlier on in life. Now, none of these things were a part of our consciousness when we began this journey. We were in pain, and we wanted it to stop. That's as far as that's where it's all we could see. That's all that that we could see on our horizon. Now, our vista has opened up incredibly so, and that's why I define recovery as a discovery of new possibilities. It's a shift in our consciousness.
0: That is huge. Recovery is the discovery of new possibilities. So it used to be in certain times of my life that if it was time to go to bed, I couldn't go to bed. There was no possibility I had to whack off to pornography, right? Or if I couldn't sleep, the only possibility really was to get up and what type of pornography would I consume? that's, you know, not the the entire trajectory of my life. That was, you know, a few dark weeks here and a few dark weeks there. And for other people, they can't get to sleep unless they drink. For other people, they can't get relief from their misery unless they gamble. So I love this definition of recovery is the discovery of new possibilities. So one new possibility for me early on in my journey towards uh, sexual sobriety was, oh, instead of getting up to look at pornography, I can just get up and watch Seinfeld. I can just get up and watch some documentary about airplane crashes, right? I didn't have to look up pornography.
9: This from that shift of a consciousness that says I'm okay if to a consciousness that says I'm okay even if...
0: It, it used to be I felt like I would die unless other people were paying attention to me. I, I had to either be the center of attention in a group or I just had no interest in participating. I would go to one of these two extremes. With recovery, I can start participating at an appropriate level with the group, with the community, with other people. And I don't have to be the center of attention to feel like I'm alive. It used to be I didn't feel like I was alive unless I was in an intense sexual relationship. So recovery meant that I could feel alive and feel good about myself, even if I wasn't in an intense sexual relationship. used to be I didn't feel like I was alive unless I was getting on TV regularly, unless I was having articles written about me regularly, unless I was getting 10,000 new readers a day regularly, right? That's what I needed to feel alive. Recovery meant that there are other ways of feeling alive outside of those possibilities. used to be I didn't you know didn't feel at ease in the world unless my stomach was
3: filled with food because the the blood would rush to my stomach and that would reduce my anxiety levels
9: that is the summary of what has happened to our consciousness now that doesn't mean with every with every trial or tribulation in your life you recover your balance immediately those of you who have known about my my trials and tribulations in my life as i've been knocked down and not down and out, but I've been knocked down for three or four months now. I'm starting to come back. It's taken a while to get my feet back under me, but you know, thanks to all of the love I've received and support from all of you and from my close friends. You know, um, Roger has been there for me every day. We talk, and, and he, you know, gives me a shoulder to cry on and a perspective to hang on to. And Herb has done it, and Tom Rutledge has done that, and and a few other close friends have done that, and I've appreciated it so much. We can do what I can't do. I couldn't have gotten through this without you, Raj. Thank you, my friend.
0: Okay, that will do it for me. Take care. Bye bye.